banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes. Dude. His dudeness. Duder. El Duderino. Dude. Dude. Dedicated to a single objective. The conquest of the universe. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Welcome, everyone, to the Legion of Dudes podcast. This is episode 117, the Wizard World Austin Comic-Con show. And I'm joined with John, Ken, Jordan, Jim via text, and my compatriot at the show for the weekend, Mr. Frank Rincon. Evening, guys. Holla! Holla! Uh, to, be, to be clear, it was Frank A. Awesome Rincon. True. True, true. Of a half hour wasted. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I thought there was an abnormal sandwich. amount of bread around here. <laughs> I had a turkey sandwich for lunch, guys. It beats the uh, granola bars we had yesterday, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I brought granola bars to the con because I'm that way. Beats the $7 hot dog. I know. They had $7 hot dogs. I'm not some type of hot dog millionaire. What was there, a bowl game going on? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) That's the one thing that's nice about the New York Comic Con is that, you know, yeah, the price of the food inside is outrageous, but you walk outside and there's like half a dozen food vendors just waiting for you. Having it in Austin in the heart of downtown is really nice because, yeah, you could could walk a block in any direction and find some sort of restaurant, food, bar, whatever, so – this show is sponsored by the Half Hour Wasted Legion of Dudes Garage Sale at hhwlod.com forward slash garage sale, all one word. We've got some really cool trades. We've got good toys. We've got single issue sets, um, Blu-rays, DVDs, the whole nine yards, and um, we should be adding stuff as, as it goes on. All the proceeds of the show are going to buy us equipment, pay for hosting, um, prizes, all that, all that cool stuff. So it's all going to the show for the show. Um, that's the whole purpose of it. And our end of the hosting has been paid. So thanks to everyone who has purchased things so far. Yeah. Thank so you. The website's, website's good for another year. And also, please be sure to check out Forum for Geeks. That's forum, F-O-R, geeks.com, where we have all of our shows up there you'll you'll see post uh threads for half hour wasted legion of dudes another podcast called too old to grow up never it's heard of it. too old to grow up it is am- can i just say that it is amazing that ken and i are actually here tonight him with his connect and me with my call of duty black ops hey, hey i've got black ops now as well we are here to talk about the Wizard World Austin Comic Con, and which which in and of itself is a bit of controversy, I think, because uh, the one of the local TV stations, uh, according to I guess it was Trevor Pierce, Pearson or John Mayo, I can't remember which one said. I think it was Trevor. I think it was Trevor. Yeah, that 
um, on the local newscast when they were talking about the Austin Comic Con or the Wizard World Austin, and they had Gary Seamus that they were interviewing the the CEO of Wizard. They actually put the San Diego Comic Con International logo up while oh, he was speaking. Oh, really? Yeah. That goes just and goes you know, to that, ignorance. Notice they. Uh, I was going to say now that could have been just a simple laziness on the graphic person part, just not finding the right one or just putting Comic-Con in line and that was the first thing he pulled up. Honestly, I think it was just ignorance. They just didn't know better. don't know what the difference is or that there is a difference. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably that. Yeah, it's just kind of funny, but Wizard is is kind of making, they're labeling this as Austin Comic-Con, not Wizard World, you know, Austin. Whereas in the past, when they've had it in Dallas, they've, they've called it Wizard World Texas. That, that's um, not just in Austin. That's, they started that, I want to say, in Chicago when C2E2 yeah. came in. They, yep. They've already owned the name Chicago Comic Con, which is the only reason why C2E2 wasn't, didn't call itself that. And they've carried that now to Philadelphia. I want to – not sure about New York, but they are pretty much rebranding. And this is not so much Wizard. It's more Garib, I believe. But rebranding this thing so-and-so Comic Con rather than Wizard World wherever. Um, yeah, probably trying to distance them from that name to completely get them separate in the uh, in your minds in the mindset. But it's not it, that's you not that's not unique to Austin at all. Right, right, and and we heard kind of and Frank, I'm not sure if it was you that brought this up, but I guess Wizards looking to put on a show in Houston. So that's another reason why they might have been you know moving away from the you know Wizard World Texas moniker as opposed to you know localizing it as well. So. Yeah, and plus it's something that, that they can latch on because that Comic-Con, people hear it, they know exactly what it means. A lot of my layman friends who are not into comic books, you know, when I say I'm going to a convention, they're going, oh, you're going to Comic-Con? I mean, they just say that. It's just a yeah. good term that anyone can latch on to, and it just means something already. I it's, think they're trying to take advantage of that. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a, like the, the, brand, the brand name becoming the name for the thing. You know, Kleenex, you know, Frigidaire, you know, you say Coke, you know, you don't care what you get, Coke or Pepsi, you just want a soda. Um, exactly. Now, Comic-Con just means that. If you're going to a – I mean, you go to Scranton Comic-Con, which is nothing more, more than a hotel ballroom and about a half a dozen vendors, you know, you're still going to call it, you know, Comic-Con. Overall, I'll, I'll I'll let Frank go first. But um, what did what did you you know what was your impression of the show, Frank? I had a lot of fun. There seemed to have been a lot of energy in there. I mean, the vendor. I talked to a couple of vendors. They were excited to there. They thought that there was a lot of great traffic in there. Um, as a viewer, as someone, as, as a shopper and stuff like that. Yeah, I was done in one day. You know, I'm not much for the celebrity side, so maybe I would have gotten a little more. Uh, out of that, if I wasn't the celebrities, but the uh, but on the shopping end, good vendors was through it in one day though. Um, good artist alley, but didn't take that long to really go through it. Um, they did have several empty tables. They also had a really big gaming pavilion. Unfortunately, I didn't go in there because I wasn't that interested in it. But there was a lot of activity in that. I give it a thumbs up, and I think, and it's just going to get better. Yeah, I I agree. It. I think it was better size-wise than the last Wizard World Texas they had at in uh, Arlington. I think um, the convention floor felt, uh, for one, it was the, the the Austin Convention Center has a really huge ceiling. It's it's probably you know about twenty or thirty feet tall. It's it's really high, so you didn't feel claustrophobic. It wasn't real hot in there. Um, even though there was a lot of people, you could still walk around. And, and not feel like you were completely elbow to elbow and having to slide sideways through to get to people. So 
I think the aisles may have make it could have been a little bit wider, but but good overall. The um, artist alley was interesting because it, it's it's the typical layout: rows of tables. Um, the only bad thing was is when you went down the row, when you got to the end of the row, there was no no end aisle, so you couldn't like hook around to the next aisle. You had to literally go back the way you came, which it was essentially a cul-de-sac. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like seven rows of cul-de-sacs, and uh, it was bad on two fronts. One, traffic-wise, you know, you're you're bumping into people because you you know you have two rows of traffic going down and two rows of traffic going up, and then it was bad for the artists that were on the end because you know if you're walking down a row and you just kind of peer down and you realize you can't hook around and there's not anything you you know that really catches your eye, you're just going to turn around halfway and walk back. So I, I felt bad for some of those guys on the end because I think they, they lost out on a lot of foot traffic if they would have just been able to, to loop back around. The only other, <clears throat> I guess, negative that I'll put – I, I just tr- – to your con and them trying to just figure out what works, what doesn't, understanding the venue and, and what their options are. The panel situation was pretty poor. The acoustics were, were really, really bad. Um, and, and a lot of it just had to do with they took the whole convention floor, they segmented off a large portion of it, and within that section, they sectioned off a smaller portion for like – so they had like a big panel area and a little panel area. And the only thing separating the big panel area from the little panel area was like a um, uh, like a – curtain wall that was maybe like eight feet tall or so and so and the curtain wall was was sheet thin so it didn't absorb yes. any sound it was just meant to be a divider it wasn't meant to absorb sound or anything like that yeah so we we sat in on the bilson kevich panel um which you'll, you'll hear some audio from uh, later on and when you hear a lot of loudness going on it was the main panel i when it might have been the buffy people or something and their mics were kicked up very loud and there was a lot of crowd interaction, so they were constantly like bleeding over on top of of poor Bill Sienkiewicz, and and a couple of times he just kind of had to stop and had this you know puzzled look on his face, like what's going on. Um, so it was very hard to hear both the que- the person asking the question of of him, and then his response back at at times. So I'm, I'm hoping again they they understand the venue, they'll they'll be able to make adjustments for it next year, and this is just kind of a first year you know working the bugs out kind of thing. But uh, somebody needs to tell those Buffy people it's over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're they're holding the on. They're holding on. They're going to be the next generation of Trekkies. I, I'm, I'm kind of like Frank. I'm not big into the celebrity thing. I think it's cool that they're there. I think it's kind of cool. You can walk by and see them. Um, you know, some, uh, you know, in a lot of it, they're, they're older celebrities. I mean, you had, you know, the bionic woman, the, you know, the bionic, you know, Oscar yeah. Goldman, and you had Gil Gerard, Buck Rogers, and Aaron Gray. Um, I, I think of all of them, Mary Gray held up pretty good. I mean, yeah. for, for, for <laughs> no, did, she, yeah. she still looks pretty damn good. You know, I got a funny, um, funny, funny thing about feeling about uh, celebrities at, at a con. I haven't had a chance to talk to too many of them, but in Philly, uh, I saw Marina Sirtis from Star Trek: The Next Generation, of course, and she's by herself in her booth, you know, selling autographs or pictures, or whatever, handling her own money, and then. You know, towards the end of the day, I'm sitting there talking to somebody, and there she is leaving the hall floor, and she's got her her purse, her book, and her money bag, and she's just walking out. And I'm like, she's got 
like no there's there's no entourage it's like you know what they're just regular people so any kind of uh just you know just this is this is this is how she makes her living now by being marina sirtis formerly of star trek the next generation and it's like you know what i, I guess there's not not a big deal anymore to me hey yeah. was uh did you guys notice if the cast of three's company was there <laughs> no i know I, I say that because they were at new york comic-con but it was like larry uh, <laughs> I think most of them live in New York. I mean, I'm not saying that's just to be smart, but I think they do. So it was easy for them to be in New York. It was Joyce DeWitt and Larry. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, the and one the corpse was, of Mr. Roper. And it was Terry. You know, obviously, Suzanne Summers is still doing well enough. I think that she doesn't need to sign autographs for 25 she bucks. Got the or ab blaster or whatever the hell that is. Yeah. yeah. Michelle Barnes. That, that was the one that. Well, she's big in the Kevin Smith groups, too. Because she's, yeah, she's got that third nipple. Yeah, <laughs> you know there yeah. there was a uh, speaking of celebrity. I did meet this this one young lady, and I got an interview with her where she um, she's standing in line to meet Burt Ward and Adam West, and and the and how as a child it was something her and her dad could share, and it was very sweet, mm-hmm. and it obviously meant something to her, and that that was just really kind of sweet to kind of kind of hear that. So that celebrity thing obviously had had meaning to her and. Obviously, a lot of people because there were tons of lines there of people wanting to meet these people, wanting to get their autograph, and you know, shaking their hand and getting and you know, having that moment. Did I really see a picture of Burt Ward wearing a Robin shirt? Yes, yes, he was. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I said, I'm not real big. Like it's funny that Kevin Nash was there, the the wrestler, and I mean he's a huge, huge guy, but. You know, very standoffish. If, if basically, if you weren't in line to pay him for an autograph or something, it's like you didn't exist. I mean, he was walking out Friday night, and there were a couple guys that wanted to, you know, shake his hand real quick or something like that. And he's like, you know, he just kind of just breezed right past him. Right. And so it's, it's kind of weird. I mean, I get it that they're there and that you know, they're there to make money. And you know, yeah. if, they, if they stop, you know, for everybody that comes up to him and you know does this and that, then you know, they'll a they'll never be able to sign any money but yeah. it's just it's just a weird to me, to me it's just a weird thing it's like you know here you are going up to somebody that you don't really know and you're paying them money to sign something for you <laughs> i don't know i just i mean anybody that 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 sort of thing i totally get it i mean you know i have cra- i collect crazy stuff and you know people people don't get it either but you know autographs and and Celebrity autographs and that kind of thing just just don't do anything for me personally. Yeah, it's it's funny because you, you talk about a wrestler and you know every every individual person is different no matter what the the thing that they're from. When, when I was a Philly again, Art, my co-host at Two Older Grow Up, available at www.twooldergrowup.com, he talked to the Honky Tonk Man, and it was just the opposite. They just you know talked for a few minutes. He had a chance to talk to him, talked about podcasting, about, about you know the Honky Tonk Man. He loves going to these shows, seeing people, talking to different things, and you know just couldn't be friendlier. And I don't even know for sure that Art you know did or didn't buy anything, but it was just a conversation. And it's just oh, you know what it was? I think because Art either just had or was about to have him. Um, up at his mall as a guest uh, at that time, so I think he already had a connection ah. of some type. But still, they, they they're just very personable, and even when he was there, he was still just very 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 uh, easy to talk to. Yeah, yeah. You know, a little bit of celebrity gossip uh, from the thing. I think it was a. Uh, um, I can't remember who told me this, but Friday there was a bionic panel, and uh, they had the guy who played Oscar. Oscar Goldman. I can't, what was that actor's name? Russ? Uh, Richard Anderson. Yeah. 
Rick, they had Richard Anderson and Lindsey Wagner there, and Lee Majors was there, but he didn't participate in the panel. Oh. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, and, you know, all, all we could do was just, you know, wonder, well, what, well how come? Did, well, he probably heard know, what Bill Shatner got up in Dallas, and he was he's not going to get the same <laughs> deal. He's not going to He's not gonna do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, we were theorizing that him and the Bionic Woman have falling out or something. I will never work with that woman again. You know, <laughs> but, yeah, overall, I think it was good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we went. It was, it was great hanging out with everybody for the day. Yeah. For sure. What um, were you guys able to meet any like uh, listeners or forum guys or? Yeah, Dennis. Um, of course, Dennis Poo. I think we hung out with Dennis probably most of the day, and then Rick Chubtoed um, on the forums. He was there, and we hung out with him quite a bit and had dinner. And then Trevor Pearson. He goes by Trev on on our forum, and then and then uh, on the on the old CGS boards as well. He he posted on on our forum there. He. Uh, he went Friday. He took Friday off, and then Saturday he took his little girl, and so he wasn't there too much at the con. But he met us for after dinner, and then we ran into John Mayo from Comic Book Page, of course, in in the Mayo Report and all that all that stuff. At the con, he was there Friday and Saturday, and wasn't sure whether he's going to go back Sunday or not. And of course, we had dinner with him, so um, so it was a good group for dinner, and I think we had a lot of fun. And, and the biggest segment of the of the upcoming show that you're going to hear is, is our dinner conversation. And it was really, it was really a, a, just a great conversation. I mean, I apologize for any of the background noise and, and stuff, but it was just kind of in, at the restaurant impromptu, very half hour wasted style um, after <laughs> cons. And uh, it was just a great conversation. I mean, I could listen to John talk, you know, all night long because he just goes on about, you know, numbers and figures and his thoughts and opinions, you know, at, you know, dealing with the industry for so long. It was just really, really interesting to kind of talk about, and like I said, we talk more, I think, about the industry and cons and comics and as a whole than we did, you know, about specific books or, you know, what we're reading, that kind of thing. So it was, it was Yeah, really it was definitely good. more industry-based about, you know, what the future leads. You know, we were talking everything from, you know, comic books being geared more towards younger people, uh, making comics more age-appropriate, naming of comic books. I mean, it just ran the gamut. They've sewed up their time for next year, so it looks like it is coming back to Austin same time next year in November. So I'm looking forward to that. I've, I heard rumor that they're expanding it to four days instead of three, which I thought was interesting. Mm. So we'll see if that if that pans out. Um, Frank, you had an interview with Garib Sheamus from, from yes. Wizard that um, that we'll be playing, and uh, we apologize. That the we, we were interviewing Scott Chitwood from Red Five, and he was <laughs> violently ill. Um, poor guy. Aww. I mean, he looked white as a sheet and was just really sick. Um, and at one point, he was just like, "Guys, I got, I got you know, I got to cut it off." <laughs> He's like, "If I don't, if if I don't sit down, I'm going to be sick right here." Um, so we felt really, really bad because he's such a great guy. Now, who who just, is this again? Uh, Scott Scott Chitwood is one of the owners of Red Five Comics it, Digital. I, I found it interesting, and I've heard this other places too. And that um, Scott said that Atomic Robo is basically selling in digital as well as top-tier Marvel and DC books, which I thought was very interesting. As, as well as the Marvel digital counterparts, he means. Like, in digital. No. Oh, he, he means... Made it, he made it seem like... In print. Like He's, print. His digital is selling as well as Marvel print. That's, that's what I or understood. Or some, at least. Some titles. 
what do their digitals go for, Russ? Is it a buck or two bucks or? I, I don't know offhand. I I don't believe they're more than two. Um, I think a lot of them are a buck. I think a lot of that Atomic Robo stuff is ninety nine cents. Which I could totally see that happening because yeah. people. If you're people, talking units, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and this is totally like people will spend ninety nine cents on an app to try it out. Like nobody cares. But as soon as you get to that two dollar, you know, that's where people are going to start going. Ah, I don't know. Yeah, and you know, with, yeah. with the advent of iPads and this new uh, Samsung Galaxy tab that's coming out, you know, the digital market's just going to get so much bigger, and it's you know the next generation of tablets and stuff like that. It's going to be, golly, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where we are in five years. Comic books, I know they're still going to be around, but I bet you anything, it's going to be like you know, digital is just going to be so much more. Oh, that is a I conversation mean, like, we can go half, so much further on. Yeah. You know, and you'll, like I said, when you listen to our dinner conversation, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. But I, again, I wish we could have talked to Scott. It, it almost seems like there's just like a black cloud hanging over. Whenever whenever we get around and get a chance to talk to Scott Chitwood, either either <laughs> I, when we we had him at Comic Palooza that time, I didn't have anything recording wise that was really good that that could do it. And then um, I think we when we saw him at Wizard World Texas the last time in Dallas a couple years ago, he was just swamped and super busy. Um, and just couldn't peel away. So it's just like it's just one of those things. A good sport for as long as he could be. So um, you know, definitely check out their stuff. They they put out a lot of top, really nice quality um, stuff, and they've held the line on the two ninety nine for a long time and put out much better quality books um, as far as print and and look and feel, in my opinion, than than even the big two do. So um, and then what else? What I guess there's a we we've, we've got some snippets from the Bill Sienkiewicz panel. That uh, that we were at, we um, we recorded my question, and Dennis Poo asked a, a question and a follow up, and, and Sinkevich answered, and then we got a little snippet when uh, when I went over there and asked him to sign. He signed a couple of my New Mutants issues that where he first hopped on to that New Mutants book when his style really kind of kicked in um, from the from the uh, Demon Bear, and then he talked a, a little bit in the panel. Um, Jim's asking if he talked about the Dexter, the animated series. He talked a little bit about that and just kind of mentioned that he was working on it, but he didn't say much beyond that. Um, we didn't record the whole panel, and a lot of it was just, like we said, because of the acoustic and everything, pretty bad. So um, so we just kind of focused in on on Frank went up to the – basically stuck his head in the speaker with his uh, recorder to, to get what we could. <laughs> But but the parts that we did get were, were fascinating and, and and just like Russ said, it's pretty much just his question, Russ's question, and Dennis's question and, and the answer. Yeah, that's all that matters anyway. Who cares what those other <laughs> jokes, jokers want? Um, but it was really cool. And then I think we just got, you know, Frank. Hats off to Frank. Frank's the one that that he, he's he's out there, you know, just talking it, talking to everybody. And uh, so there's there's there'll be a lot of just kind of random. Um, folks that he that he walked up to and just started talking to. I think there's a couple creators and artist alley that he he talked to that that will have kind of spattered in. Um, there's the the guy what's his name? I think it was Rob Cooper that did the yoga posters. I think it was yeah. Rob uh, Orson or Osborne. I'm sorry, Osborne. Os- that's it. Yeah, yeah. He does these posters. I'll have to I'll have to take there. But he they have him. Uh, he's from Austin, so they have him spotlighted at Austin Books and Comics, um, and. There, there are a series of yoga posters featuring Star Wars characters. So there's, there's Boba Yoga, there's Vader Yoga, there's Yoda Yoga, there's <laughs> Leia Yoga. It's, it's really funny. I mean, it's just really funny to show them these posters and these poses. 
um, that he does as a series. And he's also done uh, – I, bu- I bought two of his prints. I bought the Bo- Boba Yoga, which I thought was hilarious. And he did a couple takes on um, Frank Miller's from Dark Knight Returns. Oh, where, yeah, those were cool, Russ. Yeah. Instead of – there's that one full-page spread where it shows Batman and he's got like his fists out and his knees kind of like um, – you know, he's kind of like hunched over like – straight on um that panel of batman from the dark knight returns and he did one with wolverine in that same pose in that same miller style and he did one of superman same way and they're really really cool so he's i talked to a lot of energy and um i I like the fact that his art style was very um very wide range like he could he could he's not just like a one note kind of guy you know he he varies his style depending on what kind you know what he's trying to get across um so he was he was a pretty cool guy to talk to um, and then, like we said, of course, the dinner conversation. I want to say, yeah, we'll clip a little bit out of it, but it was really, really great stuff. Like I said, I mean, if you listen to to John Mayo on the comic book page, then you're definitely um, in for a treat to 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 hear us yammer about the industry as a whole. And I think it's it's it was a really cool conversation to have. Was Frank drinking? You know, I would have drank if, if I hadn't had to drive home. Uh, so I stuck the tea, but so you have sober Frank. Oh, uh, I was I was. Envisioning, you know, hearing, I like comics because. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you why Wolverine could beat the Hulk. One. <laughs> there wasn't a good selection of beer either. I think they had it was at Zen, which is like a Japanese, you know, kind of fast. They call food it Japanese place. fast food, but it was yeah. a restaurant. But yeah, it, yeah. Was a, it was a little like Noodle House type thing. It was really good. They had uh, here in Texas. We have a. There's a beer called Lone Star, and it's the uh, it's it's known as the National Beer of Texas. That's what they call it, and it's a uh, it's watered down, weak, terrible beer. But it reminds me of college, so I drink it every so often. But they had big boys of Lone Star there, and uh, you know, had I not been fixing to drive home, I would have had one. Jim just uh, commented in PA. We call that P. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jim. It's about it's. It's about just a notch above P. <laughs> a notch. So anyway, so this might might turn out to be uh, a longer episode, but definitely worth worth listening to. I think I think there was a lot of cool, interesting people that we talked to, a lot of stuff that we talked about, um, and a lot of interesting thing that we that we that we got. So, and poison ivy rules. Absolutely. <laughs> I guess no, you'll get more of that if you listen to the show. We cannot um, link that picture on our website. Unfortunately not. No. We might be able to link it to somewhere that might be able to link to it. Uh, yeah, that might be a good idea. Maybe <laughs> twice removed. We'll, maybe. We'll, we'll link it to a page that will say, Warning, we are now being redirected to a page that is not affiliated. Yeah, just, just do this for all of you out there since we're family friendly. If you search Google Austin Comic Con Poison Ivy, and I'm almost positive you'll find it. I've been doing that for the last 30 minutes with no luck. Ah. All right. So, guys, again, Frank, thanks for coming on and doing the little intro for us. And um, it was great to see you again, as always. Um, hopefully, Always great seeing you, Russell. Yeah. Hopefully the um, next Dallas Con I'll be able to make it up, up your way. And, uh, and and we'll be able to hang out. Maybe Bradley will be able to join us <laughs> since he was not there, unfortunately. I was sad. Um. Or, or Bill, too. Can't forget Bill. So I guess okay, everybody yeah. just sit back and enjoy the, the rest of the show. I love you. 
everyone. <laughs> this is Frank Rincon coming to you from the Austin Comic Con. Today is November, Saturday the 13th. There's a good crowd coming out. It is about 9.30, and the line is slowly picking up for people who who are excited about getting here into con. I'm going to just pull some people here and see what they have to say. Let's see. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm with a, a show called Legion of Dudes. We're just talking to people about the Comic-Con and stuff like that. You got a moment? Sure. Okay, great. Um, so, what brings you to Comic-Con? I'm a big comic book fan, long time, so... <laughs> now, this show used to be in Dallas, now we're in Austin. Uh, where are you from? I'm from Austin. Okay. Okay, great. So, this must be kind of cool for you, that's in your back door, that's uh, in your backyard? Uh, yeah, um, I used to live in Philadelphia, and they used to do one in Philadelphia annually, so when they finally did one in austin annually well hopefully annually <laughs> i was pretty excited okay great is this your first day were you here yesterday no i was not here yesterday this is my first day okay great so um so what are you looking forward to here at the comic uh to the, today's comic book convention uh get some deals i love hitting the one dollar boxes checking out the vendors so that's basically okay uh what are you reading these days uh, my favorites, um, I'm a DC nut, so um, it's mostly all DC, uh, Power Girl, Batgirl, um, Batman and Robin, uh, things like that. <laughs> I'm a big Power Girl fan, too. Um, I think I, but I dropped off probably about after the first 10, ten issues. Where, what's Power Girl up to these days? Uh, fighting stuff. <laughs> no, it's it's kept up the quality, so um, I highly advise you, you jump back on, because um, even though they have a new writing team, um, they've kept up the quality. Okay, and one last question. Uh, Hidden Gem, what's the comic book you wish more people were reading but aren't? Or your favorite little Hidden Gem? Again, I have to bring out Power Girl. I think it's um, a character that really wasn't really explained well or done much with in the past and I think now that after the Gray Palmiotti uh, Connor arc they really fleshed her out now Wittick is on it so he's really doing some good stuff with her so I think I really hope more people do because I really would hate to see that book go away so gotcha well thank you very much for your time you're welcome hey guys how are you I'm with a I'm with a radio show on the internet called Legion of Dudes are you here for the comic book convention? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you have a moment to talk just to tell me about what brings you here and stuff like that? Sure. Okay. Okay, great. Uh, first, give me your names. Uh, my name's Josh Bauer. Uh, Travis Tier. Travis. Okay, uh, you guys are a little younger. How old are you guys? We'll start with you. I'm 14. I'm 13. Okay, great. So, it's great to see, you know, younger people here because it seems like it's always kind of a middle-aged kind of guy thing. Um, what comic book? First of all, I want to ask you, what comic books are you guys reading? Like your top two comic books. Uh, well, I really like The Simpsons of Futurama. I'm not... Are you serious? I love Futurama. I love that comic book. Okay, so that's good to hear. So, okay, so you read that. How about you? Oh, really, the sad truth has to be I haven't really read comics since I was seven. <laughs> like, I remember reading Green Lantern and stuff and all those superhero ones. Never got around to any more once I got older, though. So what So what brings you to the comic book convention? We'll start with you. Uh, you know, just for the fun of it. You know, I just wanted to come. I've never been to one of these, so... I've always, I always want to just come and check it out. Really. How about you? Uh, well, I'm always into nostalgia. Like when there's like Star Wars people here, I'm always wanting to come out to see, like get all nostalgic inside. You know. <laughs> <laughs> what Star Wars? What was the Star Wars that you saw? What was the first Star Wars movie? Um, I actually started with the 
first original ones that came out, and then I went on to the prequels. Okay. Okay, great. Uh, let me ask you, um, can you rank your movie, the Star Wars movies, from first? There's six of them. Can you rank them? Fa- favorite to worst, okay? All right. Um, I would just say probably Empire Strikes Back was probably the best one. Um, next would be New Hope. I also like Revenge of the Sith because it was just epic. And then there was uh, Phantom Menace just because Darth Maul. And Return of the Jedi was pretty good. Then probably the last would have to be Attack of the Clones. Gotcha. Okay, so I see you have a mix in there. You talk to someone older, they hate the prequels. <laughs> but uh, but you kind of mixed in the uh, the other ones in there. How about you? Are you a Star Wars fan? Yeah, I'm a big one. My favorite is probably Return of the Jedi, then Empire Strikes Back. Then it's probably... Phantom of Menace, Attack of the Clone Wars, Revenge of the Sith, and then New Hope. New Hope. Wow, that's a uh, that's a weird one. Mine, mine is I always start off with New Hope. That's because that's the one I grew up with. That was the one I first saw. So um, it makes me sad that that's not, that's last on your list, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, so what are you looking forward to uh, here at the show? Uh, I kind of want to just see like most of the people on Star Wars, also. So I'm looking forward to seeing like Ray Park and. The Lou Ferrigno, mostly. And then I just want to see the comics, you know, what they had. Okay, how about you? Uh, yeah, of course I came for some Star Wars people, but other than that, they're also like, uh, it's a good way to like get up to beat with pop culture and also go back to see old people and like, uh, you know, see all the old stuff that you missed out on and learn more about it. Okay, cool. Um, and just real quick, I didn't, I, I'm with the media, so hey, look, here comes Ernie Hudson. I, I got to talk to Ernie Hudson. Hey, Ernie Hudson. Hi. I'm with Half Hour Wasted. I'll walk with you. How are you, sir? See you again. <laughs> okay. I tried. <laughs> anyway, Ernie Hudson, yay. Um, okay, now, I, I'm with the media, so I didn't I didn't uh, pay to get in. How much are tickets? I'm not sure. My dad got them. So. Okay. Do you know? Um, I think... I think my dad paid, I think, 30 I think it was fifteen, fifteen. Okay, great. So not that bad. Okay, well, guys, I want to appreciate your, appreciate your time and have fun. You're welcome. All I right. did, too. Hey, who are you supposed to be? Who, who's your son supposed to be? Uh, ask him. So who are you supposed to be? Tell him who you are, what character you are. I'm Super Patrick. Super Patrick. Super Patrick. Super Patrick, it's nice to meet you. I like your helmet. <laughs> Sir, what brings you to, to the Comic-Con? Oh, my son and I are big fans of comics, and we came to see some superheroes and to buy some comics today. <laughs> Great. Any celebrities you're looking forward to seeing? Oh, I'd like to see some from my childhood. <laughs> Batman and Robin. Okay. Lou Ferrigno. I think Lindsay Wagner is going to be here. And Yeah. And um, there's some from his era as well. <laughs> May I ask how old your son is? He's five years old. All right. Well, Super Patrick, I hope you guys have fun. I hope you find lots of fun stuff. Great. Thank you. Hey, Russell Latham from uh, the Legion of Dudes. How are you? Good. Morning. Morning. I was just talking to the mes- Mexican wrestling mask guy. <laughs> nice. Do you remember these by any chance? 
from other you mean just in general yeah in general like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 it's uh we used to uh as kids we always wanted some so we used to make them like out of pillowcases and stuff but it's um i don't know i think it's a hispanic thing because that's the as as these these are pretty these are pretty elaborate <laughs> so here we are it's saturday um tell me about yesterday you were here yesterday for a couple hours yeah for pretty brief um it was it was kind of clearing out i ended up having a work late so i didn't get here till about six thirty, and uh so i looked at picked up a couple trades and uh just kind of walked around a little bit there wasn't there wasn't too many people here but i like how things are kind of spread out um it's not all you don't feel claustrophobic um no not not at all it's really neat the aisles are super wide and um and it just it it's nice yeah yeah i'm pretty impressed for especially for first year you know um but there's a lot of places to sit down even there's a bunch of tables and stuff in an area and i guess upstairs is where they're having the the panel rooms and stuff so um so a lot bigger this is a lot bigger than where they had it in the is it richardson where they no uh irving no yeah it, no uh arlington arlington sorry yeah yeah you know it is a lot bigger and you know i think the high roofs kind of kind of help help at least you feel not as claustrophobic yeah yeah <laughs> for sure hey look right behind you look at this guy over here Oh, right over here. My family was killed. Hey, excuse me, sir. 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 You with the sign. You with the sign. <laughs> okay. He has some sign that says, uh, I want revenge. The X-Men killed my... The, Ar- the dark X-Men killed my family. <laughs> Hilarious. So what are you looking for today? Uh, I don't know. Just I'm trying to fill in some holes in some of my books and uh, probably just some cheap trades and just kind of wandering around. Might look and see if I can pick up some Christmas presents for my nephew, that kind of thing. Oh, that's a smart move, yeah. yeah. Uh, same thing, just want to get a couple of cheap trades and stuff like that. There does seem to be a lot of kids in here. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. That's good. And there seems to be, it feels a little more kind of family-ish. I say that as we're standing almost next door to the uh, Suicide Girls, but there still seems to be a, 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 fa- a family-type feel to the area. Yeah, even last night, I there. you know, Friday night, there was quite a few kids running around. Well, cool. How about we hit the sales floor, see what's up? Sounds good. Dennis, how are you? Dennis Pooh. Oh, good. So so your son, what was it? Your son, you punched your son's tooth out? Yeah, we, we punched him out with a, with a bunch of candy. <laughs> <laughs> he wants candy, we give it to him. He has three cavities. <laughs> no, you said you're, uh, uh, he had a filling, something about a filling, because your message was all broken up. Oh, um, went to the dentist uh, in, on Thursday. And uh, he has to get caps uh, today. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Or, or do we have to wait a month for the anesthesiologist? Gotcha. So it has to be today. Okay, gotcha. You're at Wizard World, and your son is being tortured by the dentist. Yes. You are a horrible, horrible father and human being. You're my idol. <laughs> yeah, we're not complaining. We're just stating the obvious, but you are our idol. I know. I should have brought him here instead. <laughs> we would have just given him more candy and just made things worse. Yeah, well, they're coming out anyway. You know, it's only a matter of time. So, um, so how long have you been here? Did you just you drove up from San Antonio, right? Drove up from San Antonio. Um, would have been here earlier, except there was a power outage in my whole block, so my my alarm clock was just totally off. Um, and I just got here. You know, a, a funny story. Last night, I had a I had a, a hotel room lined up. Went to it. A little questionable about the clientele and stuff like that. I kind of looked around and I kind of just backed off a little bit. When the sign says 
pay by the hour. That's usually a clue, Frank. I thought I was getting a deal. I really thought I was getting... Hi, how are you? Oh, what's this? Thank you. Curious Goods and Comics. A young man just gave me that, so they're pimping. Oh, good good little kid. I've I've been working in San Antonio for almost two months now, and I've lived in four different places so far. Really? How come? As, well, I don't questionable neighborhoods. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know where the nice neighborhoods are in San Antonio. Okay, I know they used to have some, but it's been years since I've lived there. I don't know if San Antonio has any, based on what I've been hearing from people. It all it all feels kind of like downtown Austin, the whole yeah. city. Really? Yeah, except for like one block where the Whole Foods is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as far as I can tell, I mean, I haven't explored the whole the whole place, but. Well, I finally, after making a couple calls, I finally found another hotel that was much nicer, and uh, it was it was worth the extra thirty bucks, as far as I was concerned. Cool. Okay. Well, so what should we do first, guys? Or what should you do first? Uh, I just want to take a look. Uh, I have I have not really looked at the floor yet, uh, except to look for you guys. <laughs> okay. Well, how about we do some shopping? And uh, we're on the hunt for something for Brad. He wants, let's see, Preacher hardcover two, and what else? And the Amazing Spider-Man built back in black, oversized hardcover. Back okay. The, the ASM. Oh, it's an oversized. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. Nice. Oh, are you going to try to get signed? You're holding the Batman or Robin soundtrack. Most likely no, because <laughs> I don't have $75. Oh, okay. But uh, No, wait, did you buy it or bring it? Well, what it is is, uh, since this is radio, right, <laughs> it's, a, it's a CD of the uh, TV soundtrack of the um, Batman TV show. So it's got a, uh, a photo still of Batman, Robin, and the Batmobile, which closely matches the program here. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, I thought it was pretty cool. You know, if I bumped into him in the restroom or something, I might <laughs> shove it in his face. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. You're very welcome. So, who, do you, who are you representing? I am here from Austin Books and Comics. I am the sidekick girl. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Tell me, you got a moment to talk? I'm sorry? You got a moment to talk? I have quite a few moments to talk. <laughs> so, tell me about Austin Books. Austin Books and Comics is a huge comic book store um, right on, like, North Lamar and 51st. Um, it's awesome. We've got tons of toys. We've got trades, single issues, uh, back issues, um, Silver Age, all sorts of cool stuff. So, And we also have our sidekick store, which is what I'm promoting, which is the We Realize That We Have Too Much Stuff store. So we had to put all of our stuff there and just basically, I mean, almost give it away. It's, everything's really inexpensive. We've got some great sales over there. So Now, before this show, there was, um, the, there was a staple. Which was kind of a small indie thing. Is this uh, does Austin get a lot of big cons like this? You know, I've actually um, understood it that Austin doesn't really get big cons like this. This is the first one. I think that um, somebody told me that they tried to do one not too long ago, um, a few years back, and, and it just hasn't come back since then. Um, but everybody that I have heard has been super super pumped about this one because it's sort of been a long time coming for Austin to get a big Comic Con. Um, I know this is only your first day, but what's the big seller today? What are you guys selling a lot of? Mm, well, I was here yesterday. Um, a lot of our, you know, a lot of the toys have been selling a lot. I've been selling a lot. We've been selling a lot of like the uh, stuffed Batman, stuffed Joker, the little, you know, tiny little uh, stuffed animals. Um, we've sold a couple of our little plastic uh, Captain America shields. Okay. Yeah. Those have been yeah. going really well. Um, I sort of want to buy one myself. <laughs> um, and we had quite a few t-shirts that have been moving too. Great. Okay, so people want to check you out online? 
Yes, absolutely. We are online. Oh, what's your web address? It is www.austinbooks.com. We're also on Facebook, um, just www.facebook.com slash austinbooks. Twitter, same thing, twitter.com slash austinbooks. Um, we do a lot of cool stuff on our Facebook. We have events. We've got pictures of all of our events. Um, so Facebook is really good. Twitter as well. Great. All right. Thanks for your time. No problem. Bye. Have fun. Okay, hi, and it's Garib Seamus, right? Garib Seamus, hey, right. nice to meet you, man. My name's Frank. Good to see you. Great, thank you. Thanks for coming out. So, first of all, welcome to Austin. We missed you in Texas. You used to be in Dallas. Now you're in Austin. So, what brought you to Austin? Well, this city, we have so many fans in Texas, and we heard so many great things about the city of Austin and the whole culture and what's going on out here. And um, when we were figuring out about building out our tour, you know, as above a few cities, we were able to get a really great date in the center here and people are really asking us to come out to Austin. So we're really excited to be here. It's great. The show that we had, we're not done with Texas yet. So let me just leave it at that. Oh, great. Can you talk a little bit about where you might be going? Uh, well, we have a whole 50-state plan So and Canada. So from our perspective, uh, we're going to be very, we've been very aggressive in the event space. Um, we've had three shows last year. We'll have eight shows this year. We're going to have at least uh you know, we have 18 shows on the calendar right now. We'll have, uh, you know, we're going to get upwards of 25 shows um, and even more from there. So that leads me to believe that the con business is healthy? Uh, for us, the event business has been extremely great. Um, our, we've, been, we've, we've had fans for over 20 years in the space all over the world, magazines in 40 countries and 10 languages uh, between that and our website. We've just had fans that have been our fans for decades here. And for us to be able to bring our access in the movies, television, video games, toys, comic book areas live to people, you know, for them to come out and embrace it, it's really been extraordinary for us. Um, and what's also great is that we're building a lot of the communities. So we're coming out to your local hometown, you know, where people are really embracing what we're doing. Okay. Uh, projecting forward, like in a couple of years now, I mean, where do you see this show? Right now you're taking up a good size exhibit hall. I mean, where do you see yourself in like five years from now? Uh, this show is exploding for us. We knew right from the day one when we announced that we were doing it, we got an incredible response from both the both the community of vendors and the community of celebrities and the fans. Um, the show is packed. It's unbelievable um, You know how many people not only pre-bought tickets but have showed up on site. Um, so the show is just going to grow really big, really fast for us from here. Okay, great. Um, what do you think the fans want here? I mean, you have the celebrities and stuff like that. What do you, are you doing anything special or different with this show compared to other shows? Well, the thing about uh, every show, there's something different about every show. You know, the beauty is that there's always something new coming out. We try to mix it up by bringing a lot of different celebrities or artists or writers. Or, you know, there's always a new film coming out or a new TV show or a new toy line or comic books coming out. So every time we do a show, it's different because there's always the newest, hottest, greatest product coming out. But then we also have, you know, some celebrities that may not have been able to make it to a couple of the other cities and they're coming to this city and they're coming to that city. So, so the shows are always evolving. It's a very fluid situation, you know, and... Um, and now that we have so many shows, we have people coming in from all over the place. So before, whereas people either couldn't travel or didn't want to travel or now can travel, you know, they're, they're saying, they're, they're literally like, we want to hit this city, we want to get that city, we got fan bases here. Mm -hmm. So it's really amazing. You know, it's like a chicken and egg. You got to build it, you know, first, and then they come, and then they come, but you got to build it. So, um, but it, we're really, we've hit that threshold now where it's just extraordinary. The shows are really feeding off each other now. So every so the, the show that we do here in Austin is going to feed into our Atlanta show. It's going to feed into New Orleans and Miami and Toronto and Philly and Chicago, you know, and New York. So 
So for us, it's uh, it's just really a lot of fun. Now, I notice you have a gaming pavilion in it. That's a little new to me. Is that is that new to Wizard, or is that something you guys have done for a while? Uh, that's something. This is now our third event that we've added a huge uh, gaming component to it. We have the largest Magic the Gathering tournaments uh, that we're running throughout the country now, huge prize packages. People could win upwards of $10,000 in cash, plus literally thousands of dollars in prizes. Um, we're working very closely with Wizards of the Coast on that. And then we're starting to bring in a lot of other games as well, whether it's Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! and things of that nature. So gaming has become a very, very big part of our show for us. Now, I know you have the card games and stuff like that. Now, I'm not that familiar with gaming other than just video gaming. Is there, do you plan to do any type of video game type aspect, or is it going to stay strictly with the cards? Uh, we're going to get into all aspects of gaming. Uh, we're talking to literally every company out there you know, about using our shows as a great vehicle to reach their audience. You know, for so many times, companies, they don't want one place, one time. You know, it's not, you know, it might be great for some, sh- for some people or some shows, but, but for us, you know, we're all about reaching your fans all the time throughout the country, throughout the year. You know, and this is the best opportunity people have to, on a constant basis, reach their audience throughout the country. And then because we have the magazines and the website and the shows, there's so much that we can build off of that and build momentum from show to show throughout the year, throughout the country. So it's a, it's a very different strategy than what's out there. But it's a, it's a really very, very elegant for the companies that want to go out and meet their fans all the time. Okay, great. Well, I'll give you the last word. So what should fans look forward to uh, in the coming months? Uh, just more, you know. We just I, I, this is no other way to say it, but uh, but we've got so much more on the horizon. Uh, we've got so many more shows that that are either being built or acquired right now to add to the tour. We've got a lot of companies that are coming on board, you know, that have given us commitments, uh, you know, for later, you know, some shows coming up, and then all throughout the uh, throughout the tour. We've got a lot of big celebrities coming out. I mean, so every show is building off each, off each other show, um, and it's really been spectacular. And, and what's really great is that the fans are really embracing it. The companies are embracing it, the celebrities. Everybody's really um, built the sh- helped us build the show into a real community. You know, it's their show. You know, the people in Austin here, they feel like this is their show, that it's not some other show in another city that they have to go to. You know, this is their show, and everybody's starting to feel that way about all of our shows. And the last thing is that we really encourage people to bring their kids. You know, we do Kids 10 and Under Free. We really encourage people to, to bring out their kids and really make it a fun family event. Great. Well, thanks for your time. I really yeah, appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Really great talking to you guys. Hey, Russell, um, I, we were walking by, and what do we have right here? We've got Rob Osborne, who does these uh, Star Wars yoga prints. I've seen them on display over at Austin Books, and they're, they're pretty hilarious. Rob, how are you? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Good morning. <laughs> okay, Rob, so you got to tell me, what? Uh, let's start right here with Princess Leia, uh, Slave Outfit Leia. What is she doing? Yeah, so we've got a variety of prints there that are Star Wars-based. We've got Slave Leia. She's looking good in that... Uh, that job of the hut outfit that she wore and <laughs> she's doing a variety of yoga poses you know you got her in the downward facing dog which is one of my favorites yeah. now we also have what about vader right here what's he up to well i mean even with those artificial limbs you gotta stay limber <laughs> and uh, i mean vader all the wd-40 in the world won't do what a little yoga will do so he's he's doing a number of uh ex- uh position poses here and and one of my favorite again is the reverse warrior. He's stretching it out. <laughs> okay, so Boba Yoga. That's my personal favorite. <laughs> Boba Yoga, and then we have Yoda Yoga. <laughs> okay, well, uh, Rob, tell me a little bit about about uh, this and other work you do. Well, tell me about yourself. 
I'm 5'10", uh, 182 pounds. <laughs> you're a, you're a good-looking man, Rob. You really are. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, <clears throat> I shave my head. And, um, well, I started in comics with A Thousand Steps to World Domination. I started out doing mini-comics, and that won a little award, and uh, so that got me a, started publishing comics. And... Um, did a variety, I've got a variety of books I've done since then, including the nearly infamous Zango, which is a tale about the laziest supervillain alive. <laughs> he's actually an agoraphobic. He's afraid to leave the house, but he still has all that ambition, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Uh, how about describing your, since this is radio, describe your style. What's your style like? <laughs> describe my style? I, I love that. Well, I, I'm, uh, I'm like a mashup of uh, all my influences, I guess. And, um, you know, I love, I love Kirby's line work. I love the way that, uh, like, Mignola uses his blacks. And um, probably my style is a little bit of a throwback. It's, it's uh, not entirely uh, realistic the way some of the new, newer work is. Yeah. You've got even like the, you've got a Wolverine here that's kind of reminiscent of Miller's uh, Dark Knight Returns. I'm a huge fan of Frank Miller's, and uh, back in the day when the Dark Knight Returns came out, I um, I was a kiddo and I was really inspired by that book. And so one of the one of the joys of doing prints now is that I have some of that liberty to, to pursue some of my really my, my passions. And so I got to take some, some Frank Miller inspiration and put it into artwork, and uh, I loved it, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's really bulging. It looks it looks amazing. It's a it's a it's a great um, I guess mashup. That's what it is, right? That's what it is. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> okay, so uh, what are you currently working on? Well, currently I've got I've got a new series of prints that I'm working on that uh, that aren't just the uh, comic or geek culture inspired. I'm doing some some inspirational world domination prints with uh, Napoleon and, and quotes from great tyrants through history. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, I love the. Okay, we just came across your portfolio, and you have um, two playing cards: one with Dark Side and one with Orion on it. That's kind of cool. What inspired that? Well, you know, I'm a huge fan of the New Gods, and um, huge fan of the start with the Kirby, and um, even when Walt Simonson did the Orion series in the '90s, I love that work. And so, I love the idea of taking. Dis- disparate ideas and merging them together. So taking the two new guys, taking Orion and Darkseid, the father and son, and putting them on the king card. And that's the uh, the new god king right there. And, and one's a spade and one's a heart. And it uh, depends on who you think is going to win that particular battle. They're even distressed, too, so that's kind of a nice look to it. It looks like an old playing card. Yeah. Nice effect. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so, and if people want to check out your work, where do they go? Yeah. Visit RobOsborne.net, O-S-B-O-R-N-E, and um, check me out there. I've got a print shop there, so if you want to check out the prints, they're available. And then I'm on Facebook. Let's all be friends. (laughs) Sounds good. Rob, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Hey, we're here with Scott from uh, Red 5 Comics. Scott, how are you? Doing good. You're not feeling well from what I hear? <laughs> I'm going impl- to muscle through it. <laughs> okay, great. So um, um, tell us a little bit about anyone who doesn't know about Red 5 Comics. Why should they check you out? We started in 2007. We're based in Houston. And uh, in that time, we've had a lot of success. We were nominated for two Eisner Awards for Atomic Robo. We sold movie rights to two of our titles, Afterburn and uh, Zombies of Mass Destruction. And we were named Diamond's new publisher of the year when we debuted. So we had a lot of success, and uh, we're still around, unlike a lot of indies. <laughs> so uh, we're continuing Atomic Robo. We just started Volume 5, which came out this past week. 
and uh, it's set uh, earlier in Atomic Robo's life, so we see him as a stupid kid as, as opposed to the seasoned robot he is later. We're also about to kick off Volume 2 of Abyss, which is our superhero comedy by Com- uh, Kevin Rubio. And uh, we're also going to continue Box 13. We collected the first uh, iPhone comic series into a trade, and we're going to do the second one as well. And then we got several other surprises up our sleeve. We're going to do our first licensed title uh, called The Lost Room. It was based on the Sci-Fi Channel series, and uh, the creators of that also did We Kill Monsters for us. So, The Lost Room, was that the one that was based in kind of a box? Was it like a box prison? Am I thinking of it incorrectly? It was in a room, and there was a key. There was various objects which had, which had special powers, and there was a motel room key that no matter what lock you put it in, it would take you wherever you wanted to go. So uh, it was a real interesting series, really uh, really a lot of fun, but it was cut short thanks to the Sci-Fi Channel, but uh, <laughs> we're going to continue it on for the fans here. Now, for people who may not know, why Red 5 Comics? Why that name? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to, I mean, someone might not know out there, so... But we're, we're a bunch of Star Wars geeks, you know, and uh, so we wanted to find a way to tip our hat to our passion and, you know, thank George Lucas for inspiring us, so <laughs> that's what we did. So uh, my... I was founder of the Star Wars website, theforce.net. I was one of the co-founders. And then uh, my partner on Red 5 Comics, Paul Enns, ran StarWars.com during the prequels. He worked at Skywalker Ranch with George Lucas. So Yeah, I was, uh, I was hitting theforce.net back when you still had the old uh, Texas A&M address as oh, a part of the website. Right. <laughs> that's right. Back when. We crashed the aerospace servers many a time. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I was in Houston at the time, so yeah. I thought that was cool that such a big you know, Star Wars site was you know, somewhat local. So. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it grew from there, so uh, it's still going strong these days. We set it up so that it could continue on well after the founding people moved on, and that's what it's done, so uh, it's been it's been really rewarding to see it continue on. And you do, you write also for Coming Soon, right? I see your stuff that's a lot. That's right, yeah, I'm a movie reviewer for Coming Soon, and uh, I'll do, and SuperheroHype.com, and I'll occasionally do set visits as well, as well. I just visited the set of Cowboys and Aliens, oh. Oh. Ford and Daniel Craig and all nice. them. Yeah, so that, that one. was a major geek out moment for I me. Bet. Yes. <laughs> well, um, talk. Let's talk about digital distribution with uh, with Red Five. You guys are really moving forward with that and stuff like that. Tell, tell us a little bit about like how you're handling it. Yeah, it really kicked off about the time we debuted, so we made a point to take full advantage of it. And Atomic Robo was selling just as well as Marvel and DC titles on the digital platform. So. It was really a way to level the playing field for indie publishers, and it's also a way to save costs, too. It's very expensive to print. Okay, so I just came across two lovely ladies who, and I have to say, you guys just didn't look like you belonged here because you weren't all geeked out. You're very nice. You're dressed very nice is what it is. (laughs) That's what made you stand out. So what brings you to the Austin Comic Con? Well, we geek out on the inside, but we're geeks, so, you know, looks can be deceiving. But um, we came to see a lot of the panels and a lot of the old, old, I say old, actors. Okay. Um, from you had mentioned, uh, Lind, um, Lind, is it Linda Wagner? Lindsay Wagner? Lindsay Wagner. The bionic woman. Yeah. Yes. Did you grow up with her? Yes, I had the doll with the skin that rolled up on the arm. It was kind of creepy, but cool. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I came here for the Buffy panel. Okay, great. And that was earlier, right? Uh, three o'clock. Yeah. Three o'clock. How was it? It was very. It was a lot of fun. Okay, yeah, great. It's my first one. I definitely. I'll definitely come back. 
Was it? Um, is this kind? Of, is this your friend? Now you said you you were at San Diego earlier this year, right? Yes. Okay. Have you ever been to a convention before? So, what did you think about being at a convention? Oh, I love I love it. Okay. I love it. I think next year I'm going to dress up. Really? No, that's totally awesome. Okay, what would you dress up as? Something definitely with a mask. <laughs> if they found out at your day job that you were here, would it be embarrassing? Oh, probably. <laughs> yeah. We have noticed that none of our friends are here. <laughs> Although we were just updating our Facebook status. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay, now, real quick, can I ask what you guys do? Just briefly? General, very general. We're both stay-at-home moms. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so... That's cool. And my son is very unhappy that he's not here with me. Well, how come your son isn't here? Because uh, I didn't want to bring him. Oh! <laughs> he wouldn't see the things that I wanted to see, like the Buffy panel. Okay. How old's your son? He's 10. 10. Okay. Yeah, there'd be a difference there. Okay. How about Do you have any kids? I have a 15 and a 19-year-old, and the 15-year-old is very embarrassed that I'm here. Oh, yeah. You're right. At that age, at 15, parents aren't cool. It's like, what are you doing, Mom? Stop it. You're embarrassing me. Well, I'm gl- I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. You guys are awesome, and you need to come in costume next year. Okay. All right. We will. Thank you. Okay. We will. Bye. Bye. Like a lot of people, I was first exposed to your work on the early New Mutants issues that you did, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember it as a kid at the time reading them and, and noticing that the style was so striking compared to a lot of other stuff that was out there. And having gone back and looked at your earlier work, I see a lot of difference between you know what 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 was there and what we've seen since, like on Electra Assassin and stuff like that, versus what you know what you did in the beginning. And I've always been curious as to what was the impetus for either your change in style or your evolution of style, or you know how how you grew into into being. I mean, that's kind of what you're known for. I mean, the, the way you <coughs> approach it. Um, yeah, the change in my style was really based on. Um, Oh, pretty, it was a pretty simple fact. I mean, what happened was, I mean, I, I had grown up reading Neil Adams' comics, and, you know, I mean, grown up reading comics, and then Neil Adams' work, I didn't like it at first, and I came back into, to really liking it, and then I, I realized that I wanted to be able to draw as well as, as he did. Um, so I pretty much concentrated on that. Although I did go to art school, and I studied fine art, painting, illustration, and became aware of art in general, including music, uh, like jazz. I, I, I had gone from being a farm kid, you know, bailing hay to going, going to Newark, New Jersey, you know, um, and which was, you know, about as, as urban an area as you can get. Um, you know, and I'm, I, you know, I, I talk about a kid who used to bail hay and then walk into school in Newark every morning at like seven o'clock, I would pass a, a slew of beautiful black women who, you know, with, with five o'clock shadows, you know, it's like they were all, all transvestites, you know, who had been working the night, you know, the night shift. So, um, so it was a real culture shock, you know. So the idea that um, when I started, started to get to try to get into doing comics, I, I went back to the Neil Adams thing. And because I thought, well, that's familiar to me. But although inside, I was still interested in other forms of art and uh, even collage and things like that that were not, that didn't seem to fit the world of comics. When I first started doing a lot of the comic work, Moon Knight and even the Fantastic Four, I was viewed as a Neil Adams clone. And I felt completely invisible. Um, because 
when I was growing up, there was nobody to say, you know, don't do it like that. Because nobody knew Neil's work, let alone comics. They didn't, a lot of people didn't know what comics were at all. Um, and so then I went, when I found out that, that uh, I was being sort of cast in a certain role, a certain level, I felt invisible and I felt um, well, everything I had done up until that point didn't mean anything. I felt um, I devoted my life to, to, to what? You know, to, to being third best, you know, of, uh, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, a field of, um, of two, you know? Um, so I decided that I would just simply try my own hand at, at all of the things that I really loved. And that included fine art, included illustration, included collage. Uh, what motivated me was simply anger. I just felt so invisible that I just went like, I have nothing to lose. It's like I'll, I'll either gonna, I'm either going to be who I am by just pulling from all of the sources that I love and the things that interest me, or I'm going to do something else. And um, so, really, it, I really felt like I had nothing to lose, you know. And it was just anger that, that motivated me to do it. It was like. I was not going to be invisible anymore. It was like I was either going to sink or swim based on having nothing to do with Neil. And as much as my work was like Neil and as much I wanted to be like Neil, he still became very powerful in the negative. It's like I had to, you know, I tried to do everything that was not Neil. So anything that was reminiscent, I found that, that the further I got away from trying to emulate Neil, the more certain times that it would just happen that the work would just look like more like Neil's. So once I um, I stopped trying, um, in some respects it became, it started to look more like his stuff, but also it, I really enjoyed the unfamiliarity of my own work to myself. It was like, uh, when I did Electro Assassin, I looked at it and I went, I mean we all did, we just sort of went like, well what is this? We don't know. and and. It wasn't like we sat down and said, let's try to do something innovative. It was, you know, nobody sits down and says, I'm going to do, today I'm going to do a masterpiece, because it's not up to you to decide, you know. Um, you just try to do the best you can. And, you know, it's, uh, I mean, Bob Dylan didn't sit, set out to become the voice of his generation, but that was something that was applied to him by the generation. So Bob Dylan was just interested in doing, you know, music that meant something to him. So that's really... Uh, you know, the genesis of the change. And when I did Straight, uh, straight Toasters and, and the New Mutants, um, you know, I, I started to just, you know, put some of the work in that was in, in uh, novels I was reading. I mean, I was reading to Hunter, Hunter Thompson. And to me, The Mutants is just as, as much of a Hunter Thompson-esque experience as any artistic experience. You know, uh, I mean, I'm talking about visual art, art you know. So the words and the things that I was interested in verbally and, and filmically, I mean, David Lynch's stuff. It was like, I'm just pulling from all kinds of sources and just throwing it back out there, like, you know, a sponge. So, thank you. Hey. I believe we share a birthday. Hey. Hi, big fan. Um, I grew up and was largely uh, introduced to and, and grew up on American comics. Uh, for you know, a couple decades, and just now I'm starting to be aware of 
European comics. European comics? Yeah. European comics. Um, and from what little I know so far, they, they seem to have two completely different uh, sensibilities or approaches. And I was wondering, uh, you know, from my perspective, it seems like your style seems to fit, well, it fits, fits both, but it seems like it fits perhaps the European style of storytelling maybe a bit better, uh, you know, just from a completely layman's opinion. But I was wondering, what, what do you appreciate from both the American approach and the European <coughs> approach? Um, I always felt like a, you know, that old expression, man without a country. I mean, I felt more, um, like I was, when I first went to Europe, to, um, and at like Toluca and, and other conventions, I mean, I actually won the biggest award in, in, in Europe, precisely, they said, for bridging American comics and European comics. So, <laughs> um, I found out that when I went to England and France and, and Belgium and, you know, Italy, and I saw how they, they treated comics and what they thought of comics. I, I felt like my eyes had been opened. I felt like I'd been literally banging my head against the wall in American comics. That, and it, in, in an avenue in Europe that's just so completely embracing you know, of, of stylistic you know, and artistic integrity. I don't want to say that it's all necessary about integrity. But the medium of comics was so much more respected and diverse and accepted in a level of society. I mean, Japanese comics, I mean, you have comics from everything from, um, you know, you know, total uh, manga, you know, alien, giant robots, to how to do a corporate takeover. I mean, um, what comics are in, in other cultures, um, Comics literally were, in a way, only for kids. And I'm talking about, like, in terms of maturity in, in the U.S. Um, and I think later on, when Karen Berger brought a lot of the, the uh, U.K. people over, um, you know, like Alan Moore uh, and that whole group, um, then things started to become much more global. Um, but I think in the same way that it's like, you know, my work in Europe is viewed a certain way. Um, I've always felt much more of a kinship in a lot of respects with the, with the European way of doing comics. It's like, you know, that's something, feel, it feels really uh, like home, you know. But I think that um, boundaries are, are, are relevant now, like the global boundaries or international boundaries. It's all... It's all, you know, the medium now. I think it's of itself. Have you done any European comics that are possibly not available in the United States? I think Terry Dodson, he's doing some work over there that's not readily available here. Um, I've been approached to do it. Um, I haven't yet, but that doesn't mean that I won't. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to do some things that are much more for the European market because uh, um, it's a global market now. You know, it isn't just, um, you know, foreign sales or whatever, but it, it has to do with, um, uh, you know, finding the right, the right project. Really, that's about what it comes down to. But yeah, I, I would, I would love to. Sure. I mean, I've done a few things here and there, smaller things. Um, you know, for like uh, international, um, uh, like uh, Amnesty International, things like that. I've done some pieces for a kind of global concerns, but. Um, but nothing along the lines of it's purely like in that sense of art 
artistry for a, a specific, you know, thing just along those lines. No, but it doesn't mean I won't. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Well, thank you, you very you much. Do. Thank you. Sure. <clears throat> Russell, where are we? We're in line for Bill Sienkiewicz to have him sign my New Mutants issues. Okay, this is exciting. There seems to be, there seems to be a good line going, right? I'm just going to have him sign two. Okay. I'm not going to be greedy. Okay, so you brought New Mutants. But what issues did you bring? 18 and 21. Okay. Any, any significance for those? Well, 18 was the first um, where he did the interiors. And these are all... And 21, I just like the cover. It's, just a, it's like a double-sized issue. It just has a really cool, cool cover on it. Okay, describe it just briefly. Uh, it's called Slumber Party, and it has like the cast of the New Mutants in their in their superhero costumes, and they're all just kind of like in a happy pose. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, that's kind of fun. Yeah. And the the Demon Bear issue is just it's a uh, mirage, or and uh, you see the bear in the background. She's yeah. got the. So it's Danny Moonstar. All right, here we go. We're next. Hello, Mr. Sankevich. How are you? Uh, here, this is Russell Latham. He's with uh, the Legion of Dudes podcast. Um, we just we just want to say we like your work and stuff, and we really like your panel. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Having a good show? Yeah, but we're about to ask you the same thing. How's uh, how's the uh, show been for you today? I love it. I love it. And it's been a couple of years since I've been back to Austin. It's changed some in the, in the, in the intro. It's constantly changing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a great city. Uh, it's a great city. So everybody's wonderful. So it's a good day. Good day. <laughs> Where's home for you anyway? <laughs> um, it's uh, seat 25C on JetBlue. <laughs> <laughs> so you're traveling around a lot, huh? Between coasts. I, you know. Flying L.A., New York, L.A., New York, L.A., New York. You know. Uh, I know you got a line here just real quick. Do you want to promote anything? What are you working on, D.C.? Um, yeah, actually, uh, stay tuned. Watch out for Electro Love uh, by uh, uh, myself and uh, created by uh, Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics, formerly of the Eurythmics, and make great, great, great producer and musician. Uh, and uh, also um, a series called Blood River. So it's a Western, a Western. So I haven't done one of those in, in a long, long time, if ever. So so those are two things to look out for. Right, great. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Great. It's great meeting you. Thank you. All right. There you go. That was kind of cool. Awesome. He's a very nice guy. Yeah, he's super nice. Super, super nice. So it's after the con, and we're at Zen Japanese Fast Food off of Congress in Austin, and uh, we got we got some some extra people here. I'll let uh, I'll pass the mic around. We'll introduce. So who do we got here? Richard, which we met last week or at the last con. This is John. John, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. How about you? Doing well. How's your show? Promote it. It's doing pretty good. It's the Comic Book Page podcast. We do the weekly comic spotlight every Monday. Uh, we do a couple other episodes every month on the, what's in previews. Uh, the Mayo Report, how comics are selling, stuff like that. So, and uh, I'm Trevor. Trevor, and back way down there is Russell and Dennis. We've talked who we talked to at length. How are you doing, guys? Hello. Good. So, what were some of the highlights? The fact that people actually showed up. Oh man, today, yeah, that was crazy compared to yesterday. Yeah, I think it really proved Austin's a, a big enough town to support a convention of this size. I was size. really worried yesterday because it was so sparse. Really. 
Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> I saw Jessica Rabbit. There yeah. was a Jessica Rabbit there. There was, was an awesome there Jessica Rabbit There was a Poison Ivy yesterday. Oh my god. Dude, yeah. I've told everybody that story. Oh my god. I was I like, seriously, this is not no longer a kid-friendly convention. <laughs> the woman was her costume was the size of these three shirt bags. <laughs> it was. No exaggeration. I'm not even lying. The woman I believe was naked. Not that there's anything wrong with that. After party. <laughs> Do me at the after party. You think at any point she was like, I'm in the wrong place? It's weird because they were promoting it to families hard, like on the media, in the media, yeah. local media. Yeah. But yet they've got all those, uh, you know, Playboy centerfolds and right. uh, Suicide Girls, and they were fairly tamed down, I think. There were some books out yesterday that I was like. Well, yeah, they had the books out. Did, did anybody else go to the Adam West or Ward panel, though? Uh-uh. Because, no. I mean, there were a lot of kid, little little kids there, too. And even Adam West, they got a little over the line sort of talking, you know? But the description kind of implied that might happen. Yeah. Not that I think most of the parents of the kids would have read that part. Right. Learn what it was like to be famous in Hollywood in the 60s. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't anything <laughs> crazy, but, you know. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad uh, that as many people show, showed up today. I I'm, I'm probably won't be back tomorrow. I think I'm going to go tomorrow and just for a couple hours and maybe uh, hit the dollar bins and stuff and see what's out there. Yeah, I'm going to scrounge through some, you know, hopefully the crowd's a little less sparse. And then I'm also, I wanted to go to that writer's panel. Oh, there's a writer's? Who's Sturgis. Oh, oh, yeah, just Sturgis. Sturgis, yeah. St. Cabbage was, was good. Was it? Oh, yeah. the, uh, the panel John and I went to yesterday, uh, the... Um, the Greg Horn panel? Yeah, how was it? What is it? I, I love your quote, John. It was the most analog a, digital panel. Uh, yeah, for a digital artist, oh, you yeah, did an yeah. analog panel. Yeah, you're telling They have this screen up there. He's showing off art. So how does he show the art? He pulls out a print of the thing, hands it to the moderator to go hand to the first person in the thing so it can zigzag up and down the audience. <laughs> you got a screen there. All you oh, need is a netbook. God. Show the thing online. God, yeah, really? Yeah, it was crazy. It was like... It was like really, and and he tried. He he started talking about how uh, he pencil sketches everything, and then scans it in and, and manipulates it from there. And I, I don't know. I, I didn't know he was digital. Greg Horn. Greg Horn. Greg Horn. They Have all you look, seen his stuff? They all look painted, don't they? Uh, they look painted on Photoshop. Yeah, they definitely look Photoshop. Hmm. He was just saying that uh, if you were going to use photo reference, somebody asked him about photo reference, and he was saying, you know, just don't get caught, basically. I get completely up. ripping off. I'm getting a Because <laughs> um, he was talking about, like, you know, there have been a lot of, like, uh, people calling out. Um, Greg Land. Greg Land, yeah, by showing the photo that he lifted it from side by side with it. Oh, there was that Marvel directive, right? What was it? Basically, don't photo reference. Please. And at Greg least Land don't get caught. Greg Land alternates on X Men with the Dodsons. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way that's policy. Well, or it's wink, There's wink, every not, way not. it's written policy. Yeah. It's the enforcement that. The question. But did they not put that policy out? No. I don't think so. I hadn't heard that. Not to say they didn't. I just or like, heard you that. know, a note. Please, the LaRocca. <laughs> did you read Salvador LaRocca's uh, New Universal? No. Like, that was like the Hollywood. I mean, every time he turned the page, it was like, oh, there's Bruce Willis or somebody Bruce else, Willis. or Tommy Lee Jones, or 
I mean, it was just um, Iron Man. Tony Stark is the guy who played Sawyer on Lost. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And then once you see that, you can't not see that. Yep. Yep. Um, but then I, we went to. Uh, I, I I guess I went to the um, uh, Rob Guillory Cody Chamberlain panel about uh, Chew and uh, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That was an awesome panel. Was it? That was really cool. Yeah. I've only read the first issue. Um, of Chew or Sweets? Chew. Mm-hmm. That's a cool book. I got the first trade yesterday. I've, not, I've never read any of it, but Dude. Dan Jordan's been telling Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot about it. That's a lot of fun. Out there. Yeah. That's a concept everybody kept talking about, and I'm like, I have no interest in that whatsoever. And I, I, I put it off. And the first trade's only like nine bucks. Yeah, it's cheap. So I went to Austin Books, and I was like, you know what? It's ten bucks. They give me ten percent off. For nine bucks, I can get it. What's the worst that can happen is I don't like it. Okay, it's nine bucks. And I, it was, I was like, okay, it's good, good, good. And then I ran it, like, when it gets to, like, the, what, the last maybe two issues of that, like uh-huh. the fifth and sixth issue, it was just like, holy crap. It was, like, really, really good. I was surprised. If you'd have told me six months ago that I'd read that book and like it, I'd have told you crazy. The interesting thing they, that he said they're going to do is their, you know, 15 just came out last week. It's the end of an arc, right? They're going to do, I think he said 16 and 17. And then they're going to do 29. Huh? Okay. They're gonna jump to twenty nine. No, they're not gonna. They're gonna do twenty nine. Oh. And then they're gonna go back and start again at, and pick up and do eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Kind of a flash forward sort of a thing. Yeah. They're not We've gonna release seen this it. done before, rarely successfully. Really. But I mean, Image. Image has done stuff like that. The before. entire line went to like twenty five at one point. Yeah. And um, a couple of those books later actually reached twenty five or whatever. And I think it was Larson who went and eventually redid the 25 because the the Twix, maybe I'm confusing gimmicks, because at one point they'd also switched books or something for an issue. But I know Liefeld's books, uh, Brigade and a few others, jump forward to 25 and then in theory we're going to catch up to it, but didn't last long enough. Two probably will. Hillary said they've got it plotted to 60. They want to do kind of like why. Yeah, and they may well be able to do that. I'm not questioning that, but what I'm questioning questioning is why do that so they're going to release 27 29 yeah. 29 oh so they're not just going to hold it no they're going to release it wow and then they're going to go back and fill in that that year right between 17 and 29 what? So it's kind of, um, but kind when of they like trade it they're, not, they're going to trade it in order okay um, so you won't be able to get 29 and trade for like two years a couple years that just seems really gimmicky uh-huh. you know a look at me look at me kind of a ploy and it may well work and may be creatively the right thing to do even but you know I kind of question that just on the basic premise I mean they seem to be doing so well on their own it's got buzz and I'd like them to keep that buzz based on the creative content versus the the shenanigans he showed the cover to it because I'm just wondering, you know, like uh, a storytelling, like the movie The Vantage Point, uh-huh. how they show the whole thing right there in the front, and then the whole movie spent yeah. showing how each vantage yeah. got to that point. Is that maybe what they're going to do? Is I don't know. I, I, all I know the, is he showed he showed covers for upcoming books, and he showed like 16's cover, 17's cover, and then he showed 29's cover. 29? Why you? How do you have the cover for 29 done, right? 
Yeah. And then he talked about how they were going to do it. So. I don't know. It, it, it could work. To John's point, maybe it won't. I'm not saying it won't. But there's not a strong track record that he does. I'm just saying we've seen a lot of them do that, and that kind of a gimmick yeah. usually doesn't pay Well, one year later, how'd that work out? It was both a big success and a big failure. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big success in so much as, for that first month, most titles, I think, like doubled in sales, I mean, just really shot up. Yeah. And that showed that a lot of people were willing to try out most of the DC Universe at that point. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, next issue, a lot of stuff drops off, drops off again, because not everyone was going to be able to afford getting all those books that they sampled. So, within a few months, basically everything got to where it was at before or below. Now, part of that is I think they had some uninspired choices for a couple of the titles, and I think there was some editorial confusion. Who's going to be Nightwing? Those sorts of issues. Um, yeah, I think if they had had stronger material for one year later, they had the opportunity, having gotten all the readers, to actually have retained a lot more. But this is why I always harp on sales attrition, because virtually no book out there aside from say The Walking Dead although Chu would be an example of one that can maintain very few actually maintain their readership and typically the ones that do are going to be something like Chu Terry Moore's Echo or something else where it's got a very clear creative vision typically the same guys writing and drawing although not always and it's got a, a consistency of, of quality and, and you know what to expect from the issue uh, Rob was telling me that um the first issue, the print run, was 6,000. Yeah. And a lot of them got damaged, I guess, from the printer. So not even all of those really made it into the public's hands. But that their second issue was like two or three hundred percent that. And he says they've been around between like, what do you say, between like 12 and 16,000 an issue. A month or two back, uh, for the article I was doing for Comic Book Resources, I was looking for how many titles had an upward trend during 2010. So I basically said, okay, you had to have, say, three issues, so you'd have two increments to judge, so you could do an average, um, and, and again, upwards. And I found two titles. One was Walking Dead, which pretty much has been going up. The other was Chew, but I had to kind of disqualify that for, for the article I was doing because, it, just like you said, started around 6,000, shot up to about... Again, the 1,300, you know, yeah. about twice that, or 13,000 or whatever. And they kind of hovered right around there. Yeah. So it wasn't really growing. It's just that the retailers hadn't properly assessed what the interest was. But kind of the minute they did, they hit that, that equilibrium. So it self-corrected really quickly. And again, it stabilized. Yeah. And I would think for any publisher, any creator, and any retailer, that kind of consistency and stability in sales is really what you're looking for. Because yeah. it's a reliable title. You know, it's not, gee, is it going to crater next issue? Is it going to skyrocket? Am I going to have too many, too few? What the hell's going on? Again, predictability is good. In terms of sales, and again, consistency of quality, not so much predictability of story, is what's working on, again, something like Chew. That was one of the things I asked him about Chew, right? What were his intentions as an artist, right? Just, was he planning to stay with it for the whole series? Or was he going to, uh, you know, let it go and move on to something else? And he was telling me that he has no, he, you know, he's not really a superhero Marvel DC kind of guy and loves to create her own stuff. And that his plan was to stay on Chew for the duration, right? To do something like what... You know what they did with um, Y or with Preacher. I like Brian Wood. 
Yeah, Same or, or DMZ or something like that. Right. You got yeah. no. Have you guys read Brian Wood's uh, Deviate Gods and Monsters? No, is that good? Really good stuff. Really? I mean, it's more in the superhero vein, but different enough. Basically, these eight characters get plopped onto another world, which is at a more tribal level or whatever of society. And each one has essentially, you know, gets adopted as a god by a given tribe or whatever. And it's kind of, you know, are they really fit to be that? And really is no. But it made for some good interpersonal dynamics and exploration of culture and stuff like that. Huh. So, interesting. Hey, Charles. Uh, I know you're really, uh, you're really into measuring and stuff like that. Can you, can you measure the, the, or does Marvel and DC release their digital downloads? Is that even The numbers I have are strictly the print sales through Diamond to North American stores. Okay. A few other things besides that, but that's essentially what it is. I have no visibility into digital sales. I wish I did. I've, you know, contacted a few people trying to get that, but, you know, no luck so far. Um, do you think most things because they're still trying to figure out how to measure it, or maybe they don't want to release it? Maybe they're not as good as... I think they don't want to release it. I don't think it's because of how they are. I mean, DC and Marvel do not release sales figures. DC has a very clear policy to not talk about numbers. Okay. Uh, again, publicly traded companies. What do you expect? DC's part of Time Warner. Uh, Marvel now part of Disney. Some visibility there to their stock Yeah, well, profitability, not sales figures. Right. Okay, and those are very different. Diamond doesn't even release sales numbers. They release sales estimates in terms of an index rating, which is really a, a, a big, you know, algebraic equation that's not too hard to crack if you've got a couple of solid numbers. Um, could they release download numbers? Most certainly. They know how many they've sold, how many they downloaded, all that kind of stuff. What's the incentive for them to do that? Really, there is none. I would like to, because I'm interested, I wonder if, like, releasing things like iPad and such has increased the amount because the reason that I don't do it is I don't want to sit there at my computer flipping pages. Oh, totally. And I if think I had an iPad, you know. I considered getting an iPad for just that reason. It is an excellent device for that, as near as I can tell. I, I wound up not getting one. Because really what I want is something where I would have the digital and the print and not pay a premium for both. And I don't think the price point they've got for digital, which is what, $1.99 in some cases? For a... a what would be a two ninety nine book print? They charge a dollar ninety nine on digital. I can get it through DCBS for a dollar seventy nine and get the tangible. So the pricing model is not quite there yet. And the whole they're on different apps, all that kind of stuff, just is more trouble than See, you know. I think it's worth. If they did release like some of their one offs and their, their their smaller word series cheaper in digital. I would probably purchase those because that's what you know. I, I have my main ones because I still like the whole uh, finish reading it, bagging, boarding, you know, doing that whole thing. But my budget can't take, you know, oh wow, there's 15 different titles for Bruce Wayne coming back. You know, and I don't, I can't afford to buy. But if they shot them at 99 cents an issue or something, yeah, then I would they could, do it. they could definitely get a lot of people who are casual fans. Who don't know where a comic book store is. But I mean, I, I work team room environment, and there have been times somebody's like, hey, I've got this game for my, my smartphone. Here it is. Oh, let me go get that. Oh, it's, you know, 99 cents or whatever. Right then and there, they could buy it and start playing it. 
not a gee, I've got to go to some store somewhere. And if we could do that with comics, that would be wonderful. There's no there's no time to talk yourself out of it. Yeah, that's a and, big deal. And the price is such that you don't... You don't care. I mean, you, you've talked about this before, John, that people will spend 99 cents without thinking. Like, 99 cents is just... It's almost You've disposable. removed multiple barriers to entry and to purchase. The price one, the time one, the hassle. Yeah. I mean, here in Austin, there's, I'm going to say, half a dozen or so, what I would consider major stores. There may be a few smaller ones and stuff. Yeah. <coughs> but... For me to, to get off my butt, get in my car, drive to one of them, park, get out, go in, do stuff. I mean, that's not insurmountable. No. Well, let's face it. I can be lazy, as can everybody. I know about comics. I'm a hardcore comic fan. And it takes a little bit for me to get into a store, again, because I'm buying through DCBS. For somebody who is not a comic fan, who's got casual interest in the characters through movies, television, games, whatever... What's the incentive for them to go find a store they can go buy this stuff at, much less go to the store? Some of them are afraid, too, because those weird geeky people are in there. <laughs> we just saw a whole bunch of them at that convention, too. That doesn't happen so much in Austin, but... Yeah. A lot of comic book stores can be very overwhelming when you first walk into them. You know, someone who maybe is interested in Iron Man, they come in and suddenly they're It's like, it's like someone in the hardware... I think it is a bad thing because imagine if you're a Spider-Man fan you've seen the movie, you've seen the cartoon, whatever I want to go read Spider-Man and you actually go to the trouble of getting into a comic book store which again is a, a bit of a hassle then you look at the rack suppose you can even find the Marvel section do you get Amazing Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, Marvel <laughs> Superhero Spider-Man, Spider-Man Noir? You know, there are so many variants of it, it's easy for me to get confused at times. You know, it's... They did try to simplify it for a while. By just going to Amazing and making it three times a month? Yeah. I wasn't even including the alternate titles of... <laughs> I mean, these are the current titles going on right now. In the Marvel Adventures version, too. But they've well, the thing is, they've stopped branding it clearly as Marvel Adventures. It's now just Marvel Superheroes Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's very unclear which Spider-Man you're reading if you just grab a random Iron Man or a Spider-Man. Well, book. The store I go to in Fort Worth is pretty nice. How they they'll have like the main proper titles there, and then all the offshoots are kind of separate. Like you want you want. Amazing Spider-Man. You just want a Spider-Man book, you go in there, in the S, there's Spider-Man. I think they even have the ultimate there. But like all the noir and all the other titles, they're on down on another rack where they've got a montage of all the offshoots and things. So it's kind of cool that they've got it. That That's it. There's, uh, there's an episode of a show called uh, Big Bang Theory where this one character asked uh, one, one of the big guys, hey, you go and get my uh, nephew... Uh, a Spider-Man comic book. He really likes that. One character. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Are we talking Amazing Spider-Man? Web of Spider-Man? Ultimate Spider-Man? Which is completely different. And then, and then the girl is just like, just Spider-Man. You can't do that. Do you want to get the Miklone Saga? Ask me. You know, and all this. Really cool. It's overwhelming. I think that's how the normal. Completely. It's too much. That's when you go to Target 
Yeah. Look at the magazine rack. Yeah. But I one think Spider-Man that's one title. of the things contributing to low sales. Yep. Too many choices. It's too confusing. It's too much trouble. Barrier entry. Yeah. Speaking of numbers, though, it's like, do you have to, how has the ultimate Marvel Universe been trending? Because I just recently gave up on it. Like I just, I quit buying all Ultimate titles. Cause I think the move to from Ultimate line to the Ultimate Comics line was a mistake. I agree. <laughs> it confuses the branding. While it could serve as a jumping on, on point, these days, most jumping on points are more likely to be taken as a jumping off point for a lot of readers. That's what it was to me. Yeah. Well, um, ultimatum was my jumping off point. Ultimatum yeah. was my jumping off point. The ultimately late ultimatum. Yes, I mean, that was my jumping off point. That's I, what I said I'm done. I gave it a chance after that, and the, the only one that I might still, if I were to pick up one, is Ultimate Spider-Man. Well, I, I take that back. I get Ultimate X, but I can't pass on the Art Adam. Yeah. I only read How often do you get that? Well, that's the other thing. It's supposed to be bi-monthly. It's, it, it's intended, so it, but there's three. They should have had four by now. But yeah. I tell you what, it looks good. Jeff, it, it's, it's phenomenal. It actually, Jeff Loeb is telling a really good story. I'm, 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 He's just doing it at a snail's pace, so it's got no story and momentum for me. True, true, true. John, you had mentioned the difference between... Ultimate line and the ultimate comics line, is that what you said? Yeah. I mean, what, what's the distinction? Well, about a year ago, with Ultimatum, they kind of stopped and ended all the titles and then restarted them under the Ultimate Comics banner. So it was strictly a branding move. Okay. This is where we stopped uh, Ultimate Spider Man and went to Ultimate Comics colon Spider Man. And you could argue the, the punctuation there a bit, I guess. And then with issue uh, 15 is the last of Ultimate Comics Spider Man. So they can turn it back to Ultimate Spider-Man for 150. Yeah, yeah, they're going back to the numbering. So what they're doing is they essentially said, let's restart everything with number ones, and you'll know with uh, I think what is it, Ultimate Avengers, uh, where they keep renumbering after every story arc. Well, there's two uh, Ultimates. There's Ultimates, and with the Ultimate Avengers now it's one yeah. through six. Now then it's Ultimate Avengers Ultimate. two. Colon Avengers two one through six yeah, yeah. And, then, yeah that, that, and they just started three and that's when I said forget it I'm so done. by doing these constant number ones it's like do you think we're idiots yes we know you're trying to get the sales bump from the number one but we're getting wise to that and the power of the number one really isn't there anymore in those right. cases it forces people to just say well it's they're 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 purposely billing this as, as a in a trade format. You're going one through six and starting over. One through six and starting over. One through six and starting over. The big example of that is um, Ultimate Mystery. Yes. Where it was coming off of Ultimate Enemy and leading up to Ultimate whatever the hell is next. Yeah. And it was chapters five through eight. So the first one was not a jumping on point, although it was a number one. The last one ended with a, and you got to go follow this to get the rest of the story. And it's like, okay, you want to package it as a trade or whatever that way, that's fine, but don't... I mean, when I read a number one, I have certain expectations of accessibility, of new storyline, you know, and I read uh, Generation Hope in the last weekly comic spotlight, Bob and I, or maybe a few weeks from, you know, ago, depending when this gets released, um, and it very much picked up right on the heels of an issue of uh, X-Men Legacy. I mean, it should have been... Uh, was it Uncanny? I thought it was Legacy. Uncanny was doing the five lights. Okay, my mistake. Yeah. Well, 
you have Uncanny X-Men, you have X-Men Legacy, and you have just X-Men. Yeah. All of which are essentially interchangeable Team X-Men books. Do we need three of them? No. Okay. This is the biggest X-Men fan in the room. No. <laughs> yeah. No. It's confusing as to which X-Book was I reading something well, in. Here, here's the goofier part. Legacy used to be the adjectiveless X-Men book. Right. So now you're all screwed up because oh. you've got... Is it volume three or is it or is it not? <laughs> you have no idea how screwed up that makes me. Oh, I could. Do you know how yeah, hard must, it is to crunch the numbers oh, on yeah, this? You must lose your mind. Where it's like, well, which volume of of X Men is this? Or X twenty three or Green Arrow? I have a couple where I used to be able to do. Okay, I just have to catch it's a new title, so I'll put the year for the publishing because I can't do volume one, two, and three. It's too damn confusing. Well, they don't. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't it used to be they were very explicit when they volumed out books? Like when they would in quote, some cases yes in most cases no because that would require the people doing the indicia on the inside you know of the comic to actually know what volume they're on there are actual cases where they don't even know what issue they're on true but it, it seems like maybe 15 or 20 years ago that they were pretty good about they were better at that but 15 years ago how many volume twos were there well, true you know that just didn't happen now we're on volume five of Captain America Four of which I'm pretty sure happened during those 15 years. Well, we're we're on, we're we're not on volume five. We're back on volume one. Depends how you count, but yes, you're right. <laughs> I, I can't keep the stuff straight. Well, I you, can imagine. You add in backwards numbered titles, volumes or titles that go through two volumes in a single year. Yeah. And it's like, what the hell volume did Green Arrow go through in the last six months? Because he had the black or the the green arrow, black canary. Then it went to just green arrow. Then it renumbered with new green arrow, and it's like you can't even just go by year now. And they're making this confusing. Is that a big deal for people picking it off the rack? Maybe, maybe not. But if you want to recommend an issue of something to somebody, yeah, what do you tell them? Yeah, what do you tell them, and how do you go point them at a convention? Oh, you want to pick up volume X of Y and get this issue or whatever. Or it's got this cover, or unless it's the alternate cover, in which case it's got this. <laughs> Simplify this. This is this is insane. This rule doesn't seem so bad now. Yeah. <laughs> here's a, here's another thing that I, I think about often with with all the movie stuff going on. I if you really want to try and get that readership back up and get people back into comics, especially kids, younger people, because we're all going to grow old and die one eventually. <laughs> and I'd like there to be somebody else to you know to, to come behind us and actually care about this stuff. But when you take a movie like the Dark Knight or Spider-Man or the X-Men or, you know, upcoming with, you know, Iron Man, Avengers, stuff like that. What would it take Marvel or DC to, even if they went to, like, digest size and, I don't know, took maybe 60 pages or 80 pages, put cheap paper quality, whatever, all reprint stuff and hit, like, a best, like, a greatest hits kind of thing. It would take one thing. A well-written contract. (laughs) Seriously. With who? With the movie studio. Oh, Yeah. Well, I think the comics should all be lost leaders. Well, I mean, think about it. All you, all you've got to say, be it you know, Marvel and Marvel Studios, DC and Warner Studios, whatever the company is, you want to take my property and do a movie of it. Great, we're all for it. We'll do whatever we can to help. However, the stipulation is certainly on the DVD. I'm not sure the logistics on how you do this with the movie. I don't know, but but with the DVD, the DVD will come bundled with this. We will hand you. 60 pages, however many pages of story, whatever, you'll have it at this point for when the DVD comes out, yada yada, you know. Hellboy did that. 
well, it, it can be done. But I mean, it just seems like even if you just just had something you could ship, like almost like like they do with 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 um, comic shop news, even just something in that format, just something to give to the something theaters. that could be inside the DVD box. Even yeah. it doesn't have to be big. Right now, well, the, my copy of Sin City actually has a whole yeah, right. story art inside with exactly. the DVD. If well, they did that, that would be great. Let's think about what the upside for that would be. They're about digest that. For the first Iron Man movie and the second Iron Man movie, within the first week of release for each DVD, if you had gotten one half of 1% of the people who bought the DVD or with Iron Man 2, the DVD or Blu-ray technically, uh, to buy the next issue of Iron Man, it would have doubled in sales. Yeah. One half of 1%. Because they had like 7 million copies of the DVD and Blu-ray for Iron Man 2 sold within the first week. And I believe that much for the first uh, DVD for Iron Man. Projecting out, maybe five years from now, where, you know, things are more digital. People are not buying movies so much as just downloading. It would be even easier. There's no printing cost. Now it's just bundle that content. Now you get a PDF with your movie or something. Or even like, even simpler than that. Okay, so you release the blue Blu-ray or DVD. You stick that thing in there now, and you're forced to sit through what three or four trailers that you know half the time you can't pour it on. Why can't they do a 30-second blurb on? You know, here's where. Go to you know comic you know comicshopfinder.com or go to this website to find a comic shop. There almost always is uh, here's a uh, comic. What is it? The comic shop finder. Locator. No. Yeah, yeah. There's almost what, always is. What you need like is that. a thirty second spot with Kevin Smith, John Favreau, a couple other Hollywood people, a Samuel L. Jackson, that are known big time comic fans. Uh, Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Essentially bumping into each other at the comic store. <laughs> Saying, hey, what are you picking up? I love to read this. I like this. This is great. Or even just, you know, you're, you're about to watch Iron Man. Here, if you, you know, you want to get the scoop in the comic trick, you buy these trade paperbacks. Right. Right. You know, buy, you know, this is the current, you know, you know, get catch up on the story. You know, this is what, it just seems like it would cost very little and the potential upside is, is huge. I mean, and, and I know they're looking at it as... It's, it's all Hollywood right now. I mean, everything is Hollywood. I mean, comics are, are the... the, the the boiler, the, the boiling grounds for, you know, movies and stuff. But that bubble's going to burst. It always does. Everything's cyclical. I mean, westerns were hot. They're, they're gone. You know, sci-fi was hot. You know, it, it goes away. You know, musicals at one point were, were hot. They go away. Everything's cyclical. And, and eventually, it's going to burst. And when they do, there's that, you know, that cash cow's not going to be there. And, you know, the studios are so heavily vested in, in these companies now, you know, Disney, Warners, everything else. I, I, I just really wonder what that's going to mean. Yeah, I mean, there's also like, get the toy stuff. Sure. Sure. I mean, that's a, that's a major part of it. True, true. But how much of that is because of movies, because of com- or, uh, cartoons, TV shows? How much of that is not because of the comics? I mean, when we were growing up, you could get action figures on characters that were comic characters that had never really shown up outside of, of comics. I mean, yeah, there were a couple that would show up on the cartoons or whatever occasionally, but now you go down a, a toy aisle at like a Target, a Walmart, wherever, you're going to have that Iron Man section because that Iron Man movie's come out, it's on DVD or whatever, the next one's going to be based on Cap or Thor or whatever the next big movie is. And it's coinciding with that in the... 
the amount of, of comic-related toys that are from strictly comics is so minute as to be invisible. Oh, JLU. That's, that's an exception. Cartoon. Star Wars. Yeah. <clears throat> Most of the Star Wars stuff is based either on the movies, the Clone Wars, and very little of the extended universe. I would actually be really, really interested to, to find any Star Wars figure based solely on the comic. Um... Yeah, there's those Dark Horse two packs. Yeah, okay, right. so uh, Knights Dark of Horse. the Old Republic. Is there any from that? But again, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's a video game. They do the comic there's packs. A, a yeah. Okay. Yeah, they. they, they but that's only been in like the last year last few years. Yeah, like because they've done Legacy, they've done. I try not to spend too much time in the toy aisles. It can be expensive. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got like a thousand action figures at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've got the, the solos, Jason okay. and Jaina. They've got um, Thrawn and uh, you know the, the from the from the Zon trilogy and stuff like that. Right, right. Yeah, but these some. are rare, rare exe- exe- yes. ex- yeah, exceptions. Yes, as a percentage of the total, very yeah, mm. which very isn't surprising. I was pleasantly surprised in the last year or so. I go to Boys and Russ, and there's so much DC Direct figures yeah. that, are on, that are on their shelves and stuff. You know, usually you can see that in a Toys R Us. Or I've even seen a few different type things like that in Walmart. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, doesn't Walmart or Target or somebody get like exclusives on some of this? They both Target yeah. does yeah. the. Uh, yeah. they, they're some... the only ones that does JLU. Yeah, Target for a while the Mighty Mugs the same way they had exclusives and they they each seem to on the Star Wars side they each seem to have their own unique set of exclusives. But especially like Star Wars reissues. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, understood, I didn't read it, but I understood the Superman Earth 2. That was more of a trade type of uh, Earth 1. Earth 1. It was a hardcover. Hardcover? Yeah, $20 it hardcover. Did, it did, uh, what was it? Uh, it was on Amazon at like number 50 or 60 of the book list. Yeah, for a week. What do you think? I mean, just guess. I mean, we know what it did on the direct market. Or the, the, the you want to know how it did in the direct market? No, or? no, no. I know because oh. it, it did what? 20. I thought it was around 16,000. 16,000, yeah. So what do, you think, what do you think it did in the bookstore? I mean, just even a guess. Twice enough that, three to, enough to make Straczynski's dump his co- regular comics work and decide he was going to go do a sequel. I don't think that's why he dumped the monthly. I think no, I Straczynski so dumped the monthly because he can't keep a monthly schedule yeah, these days. I, I agree. For whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, he was able to do the, the Babylon 5 stuff, writing most of that, so he can write to deadlines if he needs to. Maybe not for the paycheck he gets on the comics uh, or the flack he gets for the comics. Um... I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how that does because I thought it was good. I thought it was entertaining. The more I read of it, the more I, I believe that Straczynski's view of Superman as a concept and my view just don't match. I don't see Superman as a reluctant hero. I don't see him going for the the, the grab-the-money type job offer type stuff or whatever. But I think it'll do probably roughly the same um, in the direct in the mass market, it's just it's hard to tell because there's no real push for it as near as I can tell marketing wise. Right. It's got. I mean, maybe it'll do well over the holiday season. Who knows? It just seems like there's this myth that a title can do poorly on monthly sales. Oh, it'll make up for it in trade or collection. Doesn't happen. Oh, well, that's just the direct market. It'll do wonderful in the mass market. Well, we've seen mass market sales figures through book scan on an end-of-year basis, and by and large, that's not true either. Right. 
So in many cases, it's, it's more or less a parody how something does in the mass market and the direct market. Some cases it does much worse in the mass market. Other times it does substantially better. Spot, Scott Pilgrim, I think, would do pretty well this year in the mass market because of the movie and stuff. Right. There's no real movie to push the Earth uh, 1 Superman stuff, so I don't know. Well, what I was kind of getting at is, you know, uh, what about adopting a more try straight to trade and not even foregoing monthly? Let's just start, let's stop the monthlies. I don't think the numbers are there. Huh? If you had asked me that a couple of years back, I would have said that's where the market was headed. At that point, we had JLA Earth 2. We had uh, Friday Baghdad. We had a number of things going straight to collect it, either hardcover or trade or whatever. But now, aside from Empowered, I'd be hard-pressed to name anything else on a routine basis going that way. And at that point, the trade sales were, were healthier. We've seen a real cooling off of the top 50 uh, trades and stuff over the last 18 months. You could argue the economy, you could argue half a dozen different things. I don't think the numbers are there, um, but I also think if you were to go skip the monthly, go straight to trade, that you've cut off the, the monthly revenue stream, nothing's paying for that content creation, you're going to have to have a higher cost for that trade paperback, that's going to eat into the sales. Flip side, that's the first time you get to see the content. Maybe that would do better. It's just such a crapshoot. Or two, it just seems to be getting in that scholastic, right? Look at Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Bones, right? If you can get them to put it in that flyer that kids get in the schools, right? Like, like I don't know about you guys, but every year at Halloween, I give up comics over my, I order them out of previews, right? Uh, and two of the last three years, they've done a bone comic, um, and I've picked it up. The kids, I, I'll put four or five titles out there, how many I've got, and I'll say, all right, you can have one comic, right? Every, every kid who comes can have one. Those bone comics, just bone, bone, bone. They all recognize bone. They all take bone. And I'm like, well, we got Archie, we got uh, uh, Star Wars, right? There was three or four different ones I got this year. Every single kid knows bone. How funny. Well, and again, I think that makes sense. Get kids when they're young, get them hooked. Gee, you should be reading something. Why can't we be getting kids to read comics? Now, with the current crop of mainstream comics... With the profanity, with the violence, with the yes, gore. It's content and price. It, well, the content, yeah, completely inappropriate. Yeah, but they've gone through the adventure line. Yeah, but, but, but when I started reading comics, I didn't go to the kiddie line. I went to, this is Superman, this is Batman, not, this is the watered-down version. Whereas now, you go get that Marvel uh, Adventures or Marvel Superhero line, whatever they're calling it these days, you've got Spider-Man in his costume with a Little League outfit on top of that kind of a thing playing baseball. This isn't Spider-Man. This is a joke. It's insulting to kids. Yeah, kids are smart enough to figure it out. <laughs> they took the proffers and put them back under the comics code. Would we still be interested? Uh, I don't know. There were some great Marvel Adventures stories that were all ages. I, I think you That could, were really... That reminded me of superhero books that we read when we were kids, right? They were I, really good. I, not, me personally, I enjoy that. Yeah. I mean, I'm just wondering mass of our age. I, I think you can pull it back. I mean, do you really need to see in a Superman comic when Lois Lane gets up, does, do we need to see Lois Lane in the thong as she walks across the... the, the, the no, we don't. Drawing. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> Sergio Aragone. It's really oh. just. A, yeah. Did Frank Cho draw it? Yeah. But I mean, seriously, I mean, could could you not have her in a you know even a knee length nightgown as she walked? I mean, you, you're not changing the story, you know, but you're changing the content. Do we really need to see Ares ripped in half with his guts hanging out? Could you not do that and still get your same point across? And you're still you're still telling a story that ha- that that it has adult, you know, quote unquote. See, that that content. sounds like an editorial type responsibility yeah. to and kind I, of help rein well, things in. Yeah, and I, I think we should bring back editorial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Day was supposed to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you can. I, mean, I think you can have your tier of books that you could keep on that line. You know, if, Wolverine is everywhere. If you want to have his main monthly book be more hardcore. Fine, you can get Wolverine at any, you know, if you're a kid and you're a parent or whatever, and you're like, if, if the if they bring Uncanny back to being, you know, kid, quote, kid friendly, you know, you've got, you can go get Wolverine in, you know, in the main title or, you know, New Avengers or, you know, 15 I, others. I, I kind of go with the underwear rule. You know, if it's on underoos, the comics need to be appropriate for kids. No, I agree. I mean, you could tell sophisticated stories. You may tell stuff that have a level kids just don't get. But they, it's not, I mean, literally, don't get. They don't even see it there kind of a thing. You know? Um, the Looney Tunes effect. You know, yeah. you, exactly. Yeah. Or the, the, the adults. You write, it, you write it at two levels, right? Exactly. But, I mean, when I pick up an issue of Supergirl, where she's cursing in not one but two languages, we see somebody's face get melted off. I'm like, I'm offended by this. Yeah. And granted, I'm squeamish and stuff, but it's like... What the hell is this adding to the story that needs to be there? If you need to go to hardcore profanity, uh, the sexual situations and stuff, those are writing crutches. Do you think we need to go back to having a code? I don't think so. I'm not big on a code because I, I think... Mean, I mean, guidelines, yes, code, no. It definitely needs to be more updated than what it was in 1954 or whatever it was. But, but think about what some of the stories that are like really good stories that would not have been published if they had to fit a code. Right, a lot of Frank Miller stuff, you know, so, certainly some Alan Moore stuff. Is for the adult audience. Well, we also have to consider that societal boundaries and norms have changed. Yeah, I mean, I definitely you know, would have to update it. But, I'm just saying, but but the question is, so what? And do we need to update it, or do we just need to have the editorial staff right. throttle back what they consider acceptable? Yeah. Right. I mean, at Comics Code is essentially like an iron-fisted editorial policy. I mean, yeah. not exactly, but they're along the same lines. So if editorial kind of helped rein things back so that, you know, comics are not like Cinemax, you know, well, late-night movies anymore. Well, I mean, for example, my dad, would, he stopped reading comics in the uh, he kind of looks at stuff I get, but he couldn't read it. And recently, I, I bought some titles for my nephew and was giving them to him. My dad checked them. My dad wanted to make sure they had the code on them before I came. Yeah. You know, so I mean, parents that are, are ignorant of the way comics are written and what's in the stories need something. Well, I mean, they've got ratings. Marvel's got ratings on their books. Yeah, so who... who video games, they sell these ones, so they're but we need industry-wide ratings, not just A for all ages on, at one company and A for adults at another. Yeah. But when everything becomes TV, you know, TVMA, then 
what's what? Why have a rating at all? If everything is is at that level, yeah. who cares? I mean, if every movie is R rated, why have an R rating? Because every movie is R rated. But the all ages, all ages comics, like the all ages lines of DC and Marvel, do they have the comics code? I don't know because I haven't. Someone, I think they even exist. Uh, yeah, that's, does, what was, that's what I was wondering. We read something on the Weekly Comic Spotlight that had it. I think it was JLA fifty, maybe. Because uh, Bob was saying, you know, how did this get past the code with this scene or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I flip back, saw it on the cover. It's like, well, yeah, it is there, and I was surprised. Because yeah. uh, well, I can't remember what I bought my nephew, but uh, it all had the code on it. Huh. But they, I mean, because it was all geared towards it was younger kids. Uh, but don't they have, like, a Y? Isn't there on the Marvel event? Well, on Marvel, the Marvel stuff, or whatever it is? Marvel has their own ratings. Yeah. DC, I think, still submits some stuff to Comics Code. Obviously not the Vertigo, some stuff. It wouldn't make it. I, mean, I don't even look for it, so I I don't know. That's I think it, I think in the in the <clears throat> upper left corner where they have the number and the like where it used okay. to be the the character indicia or whatever you want to call that. I think they have the little. I think it has. I think it's a Y. Okay. For like young, yeah, YA or you know well, all ages. Or the, the different styles or levels. But again, under the different like the Vertigo versus DC. That needs to be adopted industry wide. Not just Marvel has right. their own ratings, DC has whatever, you know. I mean, as, long as, as long as it doesn't lead to any kind of censorship, it's just giving information yeah. to the parents or the readers that's well, for them. I agree with you entirely. I'm not for censorship and stuff, but again, I go back to this is a character that's on a kid's cartoon. The pragmatic aspect is parents are going to expect a certain level of, of safety. So while you can tell a very adult story with Spider-Man, should you ever really do that, no matter how you label it? And that's that's a big debate. That's an argument with what a writer wants to do. A writer would debate. It's the only way the story can be told. But that's important. What the character is doing. You can debate that. Yeah. That's objective. You know, that's the writer and the artist trying to tell the story in the most perfect way they can. You know, to not show the guts there. But but I think that's where you can kind of tear it off. You know, if you want to do three monthly Spider-Man books, you could have two of them be all ages and one of them not. And if you had a simple rating moniker on the on the front to let parents know, okay, these two are, are all ages, this one is a little more adult, they all take place in the same universe, this one's just a little edgier than the other two. I think we already have that. I, I don't know that I'd be in favor of that, and the other thing I was thinking while you said that with the little, you know, indicator, it shouldn't be a little indicator, it should be very clear, all ages spelled out, no true. little abbreviation, yeah, true, true. no room for confusion <coughs> to where somebody at a retail store can say, hey, it says right here on the cover. Because right now we're sitting in Austin, which is in Texas. This is a state in which a retailer, uh, a store clerk actually, has gone to jail for selling an adult comic to an adult because comics are for kids. So, you know, that store happened to be near a kid's you know, school, whatever, but a lot of the stores I shop at are actually not that far from you know, elementary schools and stuff. So we're in, still in a society that while they accept comics have certain preconceived notion of, of a juvenile nature of the material. So it, it's got to be something that a store clerk, a manager, a creator, a publisher, heaven forbid, a lawyer, can point to and say, it's pretty clear on the cover this is an all-ages book. Now, in the case of two Spider-Man books that are all-ages and one that's not, I think that's a potentially asking for trouble if it's in a cohesive shared universe kind of a thing. Yeah, maybe. You know. Not to mention a, a kid could miss out on something really cool that's happening in the art of Spider-Man because they can't read that comic. 
This was maybe 10 years ago. Uh, Jesus Castillo? I forget his name. Um, basically, a parent complained about a shop that was, and I think it was in the Dallas area, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, I'm going from memory here, so I could get all the details wildly wrong. Uh, but a cop went in to buy a comic because apparently complained, uh, and it was an adult comic, but they didn't check for ID. I forget all the details or whatever. But, okay. And maybe they did, but it was the bottom line came down to an adult comic was sold to an adult, but because comics are for kids and everybody knows that, this was just wrong because it had you know adult content in a comic essentially. Well, how is it the retailers' fault? They sold the comic. Well, or or the the case what was it in Georgia or I thought it was in Texas. No, there was another one oh. where it was a free comic book day thing. This is a real famous the hero at uh, CB uh, comic defense or comic, you think deal, comic yeah. book legal defense, defense fund, fund will have details on both of these. Yeah, but it, it where the guy it was free comic book day. The guy the clerk just wasn't paying attention. A kid came in and got. It was the, I forget who did it, it was the Picasso, the nude Picasso. That I, I remember, there. they got something, and that, yeah. It was a complete accident, and the guy, like, the parent came back in, and it was a big stink, the guy apologized, you know, he said, normally they keep that stuff separate on Free Comic Book Day, they don't, you know, they don't. it was just a, a real misunderstanding, and they persecuted that guy, I mean, it, it, and the DA did some real underhanded stuff, wow. and it, it went to trial, like, two or three times, and I think they finally... I, I think it finally was done. Like, they finally realized they didn't have anything to charge the guy with, or the charge had to be so low it wasn't worth the time. But, I mean, this guy, if it wasn't for the Common Book Legal Defense Fund, the guy wouldn't have been able to... I mean, he would have lost everything. I mean... Yeah, which is a good reason to support the Legal Defense Fund. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it comes down to... It makes for good headlines on newspapers. It could make makes for good soundbite on TV. Sure. Go after comics. It's the root of all evil. So, Austin Comic Con... Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. I say thumbs, thumbs up. up. I say thumbs up, thumbs but up. It's, it's, a, it's a you could do it in a day. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I, I think they could. They definitely need to fine tune some things. And I think if they had, if the panel situation was better and a little yeah. more spread out, I could see maybe coming back a second day. Having those two at the ends of the room. Yeah, no, that's not, not, yeah. not a good idea. Not a good idea. The the acoustics in there suck. The lack of carpeting in the exhibit hall. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Kind of sucks. I don't think we could change it without carpeting. They just need to have a rock concert in there. Get like, um, I've been listening to some of these comic, comic-based music bands. And you can put some Kirby yeah. Crackle in yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. They yeah, could do that cool. in there. One of, one of the smallest or H2 Awesome View. Yes, they did. Yeah, there was, you couldn't turn around. They, they need an aisle at the end. It's not like they didn't have room. Right? And that's a double that's a double whammy because A, it causes a traffic jam. And B, if you're the two artists on the end, you're nobody screwed goes there. Because you're just looking going, Well, I can't go through and eh, it doesn't look like anything I want and you turn around halfway back. So I think it's I did that it's bad for they should have put uh Soydum, uh yep. Greg Horn, yep. Michael you walk Golden. down there. Well have room for the lines. True, true. Yeah, no, they, that that was real weird too, because the lines were cutting across the aisles. Yeah, it was bizarre. It was, you know, like, yeah. like matter. I never say his name right. Medier. Joe Medier. Same thing. He like his line snaked around. Yeah. It was real bizarre. Did anybody find Levitz? Did Levitz come? 
he was I never saw him. I he was supposed to be over at uh, the CGC booth. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't. I I got by a time or two, but I, I went on past the CGC booth two or three times, but and, I, I never saw him. Van Skyver was supposed to be there, and I guess he backed out. He's going Which to another is shocking next because week. Yeah, right. Van Skyver's at every convention. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think but, he's homeless. But he, yeah, <laughs> you're right. But he's, he's on a plane every homeless. week. Homeless. Oh, <laughs> he was supposed to be at the Houston one, the Comic Palooza thing, and he 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 was like they. Double booked him. He bought a house. No. Yeah, he, he went to the Dallas one. Yeah, he was at the last Wizard World Dallas, but he was supposed to be in Comic Palooza, and it, he, it was the same day. He was I, I think somebody Arizona. needs to go through next year, starting at the beginning of the year, and track the number of days various uh, each of, of some of the more regular attendees at cons spends at conventions. How many days a year is is you know Van Skyver spending at conventions? And is there any correlation between that and them getting their work in on time? Of course there is. Even Van Skyver would tell you that there yeah, is, right? I think it's more Facebook than convention, but that's just me. What does he get out of it, though? Is it the, the I commissions? Mean, commissions. I think he's a, I think, I think he's some paid. people get paid to, paid to come to the Wizard Boys. I think people buy him a plane ticket, and he comes in because, hey, I could go visit that town for free, right? Because he spends very little time in his booths when he's there. Like, he does a kind of, he'll do a panel, spotlight panel. He'll be at his booth two Did or three hours. Did you see Claudia Christian at her booth? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so yes, many times. Yeah. She's very pretty. Yeah, still. <laughs> just out of curiosity, like a defense guy do they have to buy the table? Are they invited in and get the table? Usually, they it depends. It comes down to if you're a special guest or not. I mean, I don't know how Wizard runs their shows, but if they're an invited guest, I would expect they that's get the way it works table. in San Diego anyway. If you're a special guest, then yeah, you know, they'll fly you in. They'll fly you in. They pay. They'll pay for your hotel. They give you per diem. Yeah. Because I did talk to a couple of smaller artists. Those tables were all about 200. The retailer space, I think one guy, he had a pretty okay size. I think he said. 173. 2,000 is what I heard. Per table? No. For a booth. booth. For an actual booth. Really? That's what I heard. Yeah, this guy says he's been doing Wizard for what, like 10 years or something? Oh, yeah. And he goes everywhere, so he said... Uh, he thinks, you might get a bulk deal yeah, if you're going yeah. to all the shows. Yeah, that would make sense. He said he it was about 12 bucks. I'll bet you there are some dealers, though, that Wizard gave them tables to try and entice them out to this con. Like, uh, oh, I, I, like I was talking to Harley Yee. Like, uh, I don't know. I was telling Dennis, it's the smallest Harley Yee booth I've ever seen. Right? Yeah. He our, he's a dealer? Our yeah, dealer. he's a dealer. He's at like, tons of cars, oh, right? Him. And he usually has a He's got huge, a corner booth in there. Yeah. He usually has a huge booth, right? And uh, he's got just like one table and the back and the back sidewalls. He's on a corner, but I asked him about it. He said, oh, well, it was New Con. He wasn't sure you know, how well it was going to do. He didn't bring a ton of stuff. Did you know. anybody go to the, to the game? No. I was packed today. Yeah. Uh, yesterday it was dead the whole day. Today it was packed. I was going to play a booster draft, and I didn't make it over there in time for it to start. I think it'd be hot. It was a huge area. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that, I see that area shrinking next year. I think well, they should have put that back in with full. the panels. Not yeah, really. that would have been cool. Or like yeah. you know, when it used to be in Arlington, it was a whole separate room. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, does anybody else here play Magic? Or not for not for many years. I, I, I'm on DCI, and I, I haven't been in the circuit for over over a year. But uh, every year about this time, one of the big 5K tournaments is here in Austin. They didn't have it this year. This was it. Oh. So, yeah, so I know there was some... for this. 
like um, this will be qualifying people for the next Grand Prix tournaments and all that stuff. They go to Honolulu and things like that. Wow. So that's, I mean, so some of those people that were there weren't probably even comic fans. They right. were just here, they were just here for, for the tournament. You could, yeah, you could go I just think to that area. people who weren't here for the comic fan or the game tournament who were just kind of good. You know what? You'll, you'll love this. I got an interview on this. There were these two women walking around. They looked totally out of place. And I told them, I go, you guys don't look like you belong here. They were moms, you know, in their mid-40s, and they just decided, you know what, we heard about this kind of country, we're going to kind of walk in and just check it out. They kind of like pop country, they heard there was going to be some Buffy celebrities here, so they were excited about that. Um, they found out how much the pictures were, to get the pictures me and they're like, mm, we'll just look at it real far. But, uh, but they really kind of dug it. Um, one of those women had a 13-year-old son who was mad, who didn't want to go because he was going to be embarrassed if his mom was there. <laughs> so he was given the choice, you can come with me or not go. And he was like, I'm not going. I'm not hanging with him. Wow. You know, it got a lot. It got a lot of play on the local media here. Really? Yeah, it, it did. did. It got a lot. It's good. Um, and some uh, of that be from the whole Batman and Robin day with the man. No, because it was before all. Well, that. well, but they did the the thing with Adam West though, that on the bridge of the Bat. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. True. Spring, right? true. But true. in any case. Um, like Seamus was on all of the morning news shows. Yeah. Realistically, I think they proved that this is a viable city for a convention, and that was a viable convention. Yes. They've got a couple of rough edges we talked about they could fix, but the place was pretty busy today. It was packed. I think the the, the people behind the booths were happy with how things are going. They had a really good list of celebrities. So for a first year convention, I don't think they could have hoped. The next year. Yeah, yeah so. I don't think they could hope for a better. The first thing year. that I thought was really interesting that I saw this morning, um, the cynical side of me sees this as a play to co-op the San Diego brand. Oh yeah, right. Um, and to bill it as San Diego comes to your town kind of thing, right? Well, San Diego <laughs> botched their branding. Yeah. So. This morning on the news, they had a bit, and Seamus on, and you know, the local news guys, they're looking for something they can throw up in, an image next to the anchor, and they said Austin Comic Con, and the logo they threw up was the San Diego logo. The San Diego wow. Comic Con International, and it was Comic Con That's comes to That's going to get them in some flat, right? Yeah. because that shows it's proving, it's got confusion yep. between the Comic Con brand and this convention. Yeah, and, kind of, and you have a non-profit versus a for-profit. Well, I'm just saying, because before this convention, all the Wizard Worlds... Maybe I you should trademark Comic Con. Wizard World Texas, Wizard right. World this. And the Wizard World brand... No, because the Wizard World brand became crap. They got tainted. And so, oh, but is that is the Comic Con word on there? Is that related? Yeah, yeah. it's Austin Comic Con. Comic Dash Con is part of Comic Con International's brand, but they haven't protected just the Comic Con part. And they, there are other comic conventions, right. and there may have even been some dispute as to could other things call themselves a Comic Con. There's been a Las Vegas Comic Con, etc. And San Diego's very clear: this is ours, yada yada. But because it's gotten to be such an iconic. Ah, this is happening at Comic Con, and people just that's San Diego. You know, and I had coworkers saying, "Yeah, I'm going to Comic Con." You know, in November, it's like, "No, Comic Con is in July." Yeah, right. You know, this would be like a, a high school uh, having their their big football playoff. You know, between all their schools, you know, calling it the Super Bowl. You call it that, but that's not what it is. Right. You can see that picture right there. Yeah. World Comic Con. Yeah. Right it flipped pictures. Yeah. 
Well, I know it was like Wizard World, Austin Comic Con, but when you see it, the branding and stuff, it's well, Wizard the, World. The Dallas Austin Comic Con. The Dallas one was always Wizard World Texas. It was yeah. always Wizard World Texas. I thought this one was Wizard World Austin. It's Austin Comic Con. Yeah. No dash. I see. Yeah. I've seen people call it Wizard World Austin. When I put it in Google, I put Wizard World Austin. Yeah. Takes me to but the no, page. it's Wizard World Comic Con, and that when they do that on the branding uh, with the shirts and all that stuff, so they can sell those shirts in Chicago. Yeah, and, and that's so they can wherever. take it everywhere they want to yeah. go. Yeah. Well, I think they're afraid. Which of that it. makes sense. Well, because that's how they're getting they're getting uh, savings that way, right? That's how and, they and keep again, staying profitable. But they could do that with just Wizard World versus the Comic Con name. Right. And again, because that logo showed up on that news. Yeah. If I were one of the people running San Diego, I'd be, hey, wait a sec. James this is clearly people at the Wizard World booth. Yeah, Seamus was interviewed in that segment. Yeah, I don't know. Garib Seamus, he's, he's the, the head of Wizard World. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's the head yeah, I was talking to the lady there, and she was telling me that today, that, that as of today, they've decided next year they're also adding Houston. But they haven't, she couldn't tell me dates or any of that yeah. stuff yet. So. That's wow. interesting. Two Wizard Worlds in one year. Last year, you canceled the one we had in Texas that we were bringing Stan Lee to that I had tickets to, uh, and you canceled three weeks before. Yeah. yeah. I was not happy. <laughs> but San Diego should have protected their brand better. Yeah, they, they should have. their name, right? To, to, to what? I forget. Comic-Con. Comic- it used to be San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, then it went to Comic-Con International, Poland, San Diego. What they should have mm-hmm. done is just changed it to Comic-Con. They should have trademarked Comic Con in 1972 or whatever, right? It's just like zero. It's just like, just, you know, it's a generic thing that means nothing. Well, I think, too, they were hedging their bets. In case they had to bail out of San Diego, they're not that's branding why you it. Well, that's the why San they Diego called it Comic Con right. International. Well, right. they, they called it International because they wanted to, to show they've got people from Japan, yeah. you know, wherever right. other places. That's great, but it's not really that international. But right. isn't the car, is, Am I wrong? Is the Comic Con that happens in New York? Is that theirs? No, no that's nope. Reed. That's Reed. Because I've seen, I thought I've seen that logo. No. The Comic Con in New York and Chicago are both Reed. San Diego has theirs. They have Ape, and they have WonderCon. WonderCon. WonderCon yeah. WonderCon's in San Francisco. Yeah. So is Ape. And so Ape, yeah. But Ape is like what their small press. Yeah. The it's uh, alternative. alternative press. Yeah, alternative Expo. press. Yeah. But yeah, the, the Reed does Chicago and does. New York and New York, I hear, is getting crazier and crazier. I guess Chicago, the first year, my uncle works for McCormick, and he said they had about thirty thousand people, I think, for Chicago. When there were ninety-five here, I New don't York. Know. Uh, I don't know. I'm I not a really good gauge for that. I'm a horrible gauge. And I think yeah. it's going to be hard to know because there were a lot. There was a lot of walk-up traffic, right? I remember when I went to Wizard World. I started going to the Texas show. I don't know, maybe five years ago, four or five years ago, and. Uh, you had to stand in line in the morning for a good yeah. long while to get in, right? And here every day I've walked straight in. Yeah. Right? Well, but but there's there, but today especially there was always a small line of people at the buy your ticket today, right? Walk I, I like how stuff. this has uh, a threshold number of people to make it viable, yet is not so packed you can't get in. You know, it's it, you know. it was pretty packed today. It was. And and, and, you had to get in some long lines for some of the panels, yeah. too, which well, makes that, no sense because all you had to do was move the curtain a few feet, add some more chairs. Yeah, because yeah, that was my biggest point was uh, I wanted to go to the Buffy panel, but it had I gone to the Buffy panel, I would not have been able to get in line for the Adam West panel. I was in the Walter Koenig one right before the Buffy one, yeah. and I was near the back 
the acoustics were horrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> okay, they need to work on that. What I think they need is more speakers, have them along the edges facing in at a lower volume. Yeah. To where everyone's got a speaker within 10 feet of them, 15 feet, whatever. Well, do they really need to take a giant room like that and break it into small rooms? Are there not smaller conference rooms? There are. I'm there may sure. be, but there are also three other conventions going on. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm just saying. And a part of the, and construction. Yeah, a part that's under construction. So I mean, you know, it's probably just a logistical thing. Of, like this is what you got. Maybe they'll iron that out next year. Oh, it, probably. Because I, I I did work at a convention center, and sometimes you know. The people who have the plan, you know, they want to do something, but logistically something happens, uh, something, something falls off, or they didn't sign something in time, and, and suddenly this is what you got to work with, and you want to have it on the date you said. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they addressed it because you know it was it was a pain for the audience members. I think it was also a pain for the people given the the, the panels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sienkiewicz. Sienkiewicz was really he, taken aback at first. He was like, "What the hell?" I half expected Lindsay Wagner to point out that her character had the bionic ear, not her. Because <laughs> she was having a hard time hearing the questions. And the, the, the big draw ones, like Adam West and Burt Ward, they should have a bigger area for them. I mean, like, like in San Diego, they have Hall H for the big draws. Yeah. You know, I don't think they needed Hall H size. No, 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 but I'm just saying. <laughs> but they could have moved the curtains the out, added twice as many. You know, yeah. They have the same size room for the comic art panel as they do for the main draw right. of the comic. Right. <clears throat> yeah. How was that Lindsay Wagner panel? I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I totally freaked out when I saw her at the at the at, at table. I just, almost peed with with uh, Adam West. <laughs> I got pee shot. He walked into the men's restaurant, and I was like, "There goes Adam West." And so, and his handler was with him, and I was like, "I'm gonna go pee with him." And so I went, and I'm walking in, and suddenly it's very obvious that I'm there to talk to Adam West, but with the men's room, so I just kind of start to wash my hands. I think he's kind of waiting for me to leave so he can go pee, and then I just kind of talk to his handler. Hey, so you're his handler? And the guy goes, yeah. Cool. Hi, and then I walk out. A little uh, Chris Farley yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Remember that time when he was on Batman? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. That was the awesome. thing I didn't get about the uh, Lindsay Wagner panel was she was there, Richard Anderson was there, Lee Majors was not. He wasn't at the panel? Nope. Was he there I thought at they all? advertised it. That He's they were... at the convention. Yeah, no, but I thought they advertised that they were going to have all of the bionics at the panel. At the convention. At the convention. Yeah, no, the pan- Yeah, they didn't advertise the panel that way. Yeah, I don't remember seeing Lee Majors at, even at his booth. Well, he's I here. Did. He's been he, around. Yeah, I saw, I saw him. Yeah. I've seen him there, but it's like he's at his booth for like 10 minutes. I think the thing is gone. that you go and you buy the photo op, right? And then they take you into that into a different area, those curtained off areas yeah. to do the photo op. So if there's a big line for that celebrity for photo ops, they're not at their table. And I'll bet you that those celebrities, they don't, they probably don't work the whole con photo ops, right? But I'll tell you, the nicest one that I talked to today out of the big ones was Ray Parker. Oh, he's yeah. he's awesome. He yeah, he's always very open to talking to people. His panel was great. He just had Daniel go to his panel. I, I, I went, uh, like was one one of the first questions was this little kid to say, "Hey, can you show me some moves?" He brought that little kid up there and yeah. he'll bring a couple more. Yeah. He was up there just teaching these he, kids stuff. He always does you know, that. Like, just did, that's and, cool. I mean, and he, 
he'd stop somebody and he'd start talking to some kid in a Batman costume, you know, just he was very kid friendly. He's know? yeah, he's awesome. When we went to Star Wars fan days, remember Frank, you were there. Oh, yeah, yeah. He anytime a kid had a question or whatever, he's like, Come on up, I'll shake your hand and you know, to come take a picture, you know, no you know, he's not He's That's a smart guy. I mean, he's got, really, he, he yeah. makes a fan for life. Yes. The story, yes. the story you told, he said that this Halloween a couple weeks ago was the first time since the movie that he's put the Darth Maul makeup on. He said he went as Darth Maul. Nice. And he said that just walking around in neighborhoods and stuff, people didn't know who he was. He'd have random people dressed as Jedi go, hey, let me challenge you. You're like, all right. <laughs> That's yeah. where you got to go funny. for a costume contest and see if you can get most authentic. Hey, yeah. he, <laughs> he lives. Oh, my God. <laughs> He said some, some like 10, 11 year old kid walked up to him and said, your makeup's all wrong. You don't look anything like him. <laughs> Hilarious. That's awesome, man. Yeah, he's a really cool, I mean, you talk about, you know. He embraces people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Or just being being that guy. I mean, you know, he's, he's open, you know, talks about, you know, the X-Men and talks about, you know, heroes. He talked a lot about heroes. This was when he was still in the middle of filming for heroes, so he talked a lot about, about that. Talk about the iron, you know, people ask him about the Iron Fist thing, you know, because he's always... That came up and actually yeah. he was talking about, um, uh, was he supposed he to be Iron Fist? He said yeah. that he is yeah. going to be Iron Fist. Someone said, is it true you're not going to be Iron Fist? He said, as far as I know, I am still Iron Fist. Wow. So, um, there was a guy, uh, there was a guy who was asking questions at the, uh, the Chew and Sweets panel. And I think he, he must be a friend of, of those guys. But uh, they were saying uh, he's uh, John Stewart in the Green Lantern movie. That dude was, yeah, oh, wait, he was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, somebody, yeah. Somebody said, I overheard a conversation, but somebody said he was here yesterday. Yeah, yeah. He was here he was today, here. I think. Oh, okay. and he, he was just hanging out because he was asking uh, uh, Guillory and uh, Chamberlain, like, very pointed questions about how they approach things and stuff. And then at some point... Cody Chamberlain said, oh, hey, everyone, by the way, this guy is uh, John Stewart. I, they I, said his name. I, don't I think he was over in Artist Alley on the far end. Yes, he was in Artist Alley. Because he had these prints uh, that were all John Stewart prints. And I was like, I think that's the dude. Wait, no, isn't he no, advertised? I don't think it was the same guy. No? Wasn't someone advertised? Uh, no, this guy, this, wasn't, this guy wasn't advertised. Okay. I think he just kind of showed up. He was hanging. He was Bob Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> Named Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. I mean, it, this was a young guy. Yeah. 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 Pretty pretty good build. Yeah. Bald head. No. 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 He had a, he had like a fade. How many that was? Yeah, maybe that was. I don't know. Was yeah. he? I don't know. John Yesterday he was in camo and he had a scarf on. No, all white. John Stewart yeah, went to one of the New York cons and uh, uh, the Freaky Tiki uh, got a picture of him by accident. Really? <laughs> picture of who? Uh, John, John Stewart. Stewart. Oh. Have you read this new book, The Earth Book? I recommend it. It's hilarious. What's it called? You mean like Earth. Daily Show? Yeah. 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 It's, oh, okay. it's, a guy, it's written from a standpoint of we have been wiped out and this book is the thing that's left behind for an alien civilization to read to understand how Earth became and how we were. So, and it goes from the earliest points of science of history of the world all the way up to current pop culture. It's hilarious. Oh, my God. 
Well, I think that has a page torn out for what happened to cause it to be a sad yeah, yeah. and, and then keeps going. Yeah, that'd be there is an, I don't know if this the is a event. or not because it's it's got an envelope in the back and you can mail it where you can take a, a, a sample of your hair, put it in there, and they'll store it in this bank in New Mexico or something. So that when the aliens come, they can find all our DNA there and clone us. And just <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Guys, it was wonderful, man. It was awesome. Great meeting. Thank you. It's, it's always a pleasure. Guys, Frank, you I'll see you. Is anybody we'll going to too long tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm going to go in the morning for, for an hour or two before football games kick on. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> too long. Okay, so I'm going to go to the Riders panel. I want to go to the Riders one too. That, that would be my Who else is on it? Sturgis will talk about how not to be late on your work. <laughs> that, that alone. <laughs> Writing comics with Matthew Sturgis. He was pretty cool. He had a pretty good line. I, I went over. I was going to go over there and, and talk to him and check out his stuff. And he had a pretty good crowd in the afternoon. I'm kind of surprised table. that. Um, uh, Grell? No, uh, the guy. Uh, uh, the guy who did Strangers in Paradise. Oh, Terry uh, Moore. Yeah, Terry Moore. Why isn't he here? He lives in Houston. He's been at every. He's, at he's been at every. Yeah, he's usually yeah. at Staple. He's at every Texas convention I've ever been. He was. He's at the. Uh, that Comic Palooza, I think that <laughs> that they put on. Is it the same weekend? No, no, no. Yeah. Well, I know there's some convention happening next weekend somewhere. I was thinking I went to a writer's panel at Texas Book Fest a couple of years ago, and it was Sturges, uh, Terry Moore, Paul Tobin, and. Uh, I still been from Texas too. Yeah, yeah, he lives yeah. here. Oh, I didn't know that. Really, I didn't know that. Or not, no, maybe it's not Paul Tobin. The guy who does all the adventure stuff. It's Tobin. I forgot to find James O'Barr. Does that mean Colleen Coover's here too? Tonight they were having a Walking Dead. Yeah, he's married to Colleen yeah, Coover, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, but she lives in Portland. They had the same. They had a snippet. Paul something or other. I forget. But anyway, I see him around all the time. I see him at Austin Books a lot, too. Guys, on three, let's say Legion of Dudes. One, two, three. Legion, Legion of Dudes. One, eight, two. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>